we've chosen is back today on the line we have ship the justice the shipper welcome to the program shipper thank you for the grand entrance uh it's good to be here i'd like to start with what is a rort uh a rort is also known as a rick by some people uh and it's just a bit where the market has got it completely wrong. It's not a small edge, it's a very large edge. Okay. Do you have any rorts for me right now? <laughs> As someone looking for large edges? Uh, potentially some guy who's fighting Nikita Zhu, uh, the son of Kostya Zhu uh, in a boxing match. Um, the Australian market's been going crazy. Um, he was a 10 to one underdog. The guy who's fighting him, I don't know his name. Um, but yeah, that might be a bit at the moment. When is this? Uh, I think the fight will jump at about 9 PM Australian time, which is, I don't know, maybe five hours from now. Oh, it's like today. Okay. Wow. So you got a roar for the day. It's impressive. I thought you were going to say in a couple months or something. No, no. Uh, I suppose there are always rorts out there, but you're always looking for the closest one. Sure. Yeah. And it's hard to find them. I don't think I've ever found a roar. Or a Rick. I haven't been looking clearly hard enough. It's uh, very disappointing. There are, I think I've, I've posted a few times on my Twitter account uh, some of the, the greatest rorts in shipper history. Uh, sure. I think I might have even ranked them one time. Uh, More than once, but... I think, actually. <laughs> yeah, indeed. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I like to, like to reminisce on the good times. So would you say that when you're betting sports it's mostly trying to find rorts or are you doing like daily grind bullshit too? No, I'm, I'm only trying to find rorts. Um, I think Matthew Trenhow said it best, uh, when it's not about, uh, it's not like bet sports betting is not about grinding out these small edges. It's about finding rorts and well, finding ricks in his parlance and betting the fuck out of them. So I think that that's, uh, that describes my betting style. And it's been my bidding style since day one, um, trying to play in the uh, smaller leagues and uh, try to maximize the amount that you can get down on these smaller leagues. And how many rorts are you find? Is this like a once once a week kind of thing, once a day? I mean, you hit, you hit me with one in five hours. Is that pretty regular? I think you've always got something on the go and something to look forward to. Uh, that being said, obviously, you're not getting down the volume if you were a college basketball bidder or a uh, college football better, just a regular day-to-day punter. Uh, I think if you're trying to find rorts, you're trying to find stuff that the edge is a double-digit ROI, sometimes very, sometimes triple-digit ROI, where you don't have to even think about whether you're getting it in good. You're just trying to get as much money down as humanly possible. Uh, so I think they probably come along. I mean, there's kind of the the day-to-day grind of betting international basketball, but the really big stuff, uh, they tend to come along, I suppose, six or seven times a year, maybe. 
Um, so this is, is this Nikita Tsu versus Mason Smith? Yeah, that's it. I think the Mason Smith side, supposedly, anything better than sort of six and a half, well, anything better than six to one, anything better than plus 600. Uh, is it I mean, or is just good? I haven't, the thing is, like, I haven't kept this thing myself at all, but the market is just completely exploding. So whether that is, whether that's real or not, I don't know, but you don't have to be right that many times to beat the big. And the thing is, is if you're right, you're going to be right by such a large amount that it's probably a bet. And so the way that you found this one was by just seeing that the market went crazy or someone who follows Australian boxing a little closer said this is going crazy. No, you can just see that the market is just completely exploding. Uh, And so, you know, you can, like, I don't like to bet a lot of slow. So where did it open? Did it open, like, closer to pick? No, it opened opened 10 to 1. So, sorry, so you're betting the the dog side here. Open about... I see Smith uh, 1177 on Bookmaker. (laughs) Sounds like a pretty good bet. Obviously, the limits on Bookmaker here are probably pretty tiny, but... um, the the reason for this bet is that you know if if the markets are going to move then it's not going to be like the right fair the fair price if the market is seven to one eight to one and it gets absolutely smashed in the fair price is not six to one it's going to be four to one three to one something like that uh the moves have to be so much bigger and I just don't think that books move anywhere near enough on this sort of stuff. So I suppose you can kind of chase steam here. This is this certainly isn't my typical style. I'm not uh, one to just look at market movement and, and intuit something if I don't believe to have a an edge. But I suppose you kind of ask for one that's uh, going at the moment. And, and that would probably be the easiest one that I have off the top of my head. Yeah, 1,200 on bet online. This looks like it goes in... Uh, yeah, the time zones are weird. <laughs> I think that Bookmaker has Western West Coast um, U.S. time, and Bet Online has Eastern U.S. time. So then these yeah. are in like eight hours, seven and a half hours, something, something like that. Yeah. Well, should I bet this for for the podcast? <laughs> yeah, I think it's worth a throw. I had a small twelve to one investment on it. Yeah, I bet. Okay, it, so uh, not I quite a rort. No, no. I yeah. I mean. I, th- I think like the good example of a, the really good example of a rort is, you know, you're bidding into something like, I don't know. I thought that uh, Mike Trout at, at uh, eight to one to win the uh, AL MVP was a, is a rort. And like that thing's not going to cash for a while. But the thing is like. Mike Trout. Sorry, I Shohei switched, is I switched a thing. major part of the book. What Say that, that again. I switched I mean, my so, VPN to log into Betfair to see if they have this um, Nikita Su thing because Betfair doesn't it blocks Canada, which seems so weird to me. But they're pretty consistent. Well, Betfair, Betfair, I think has like fifty dollars matched of liquidity. So that's the thing. It's just the, one of these tiny little markets. But so I, I don't know, like something like Mike Trout at eight to one when he was eight to one to win uh, the AL MVP. Um, you. I suppose he was on. He w- wasn't even the favorite in the market. Well, he's still not the favorite in the market with Shohei Otani um, involved. But I suppose it's about finding things that are the books just have absolutely no idea what they're doing in terms of pricing these things, uh, and they don't really want to put a t- whole bunch of time in terms of pricing these things. But it's a it's a major enough market that they feel as though they have to to have it, and they're 
also willing to take reasonably big limits because the theoretical hold is, is so high. Okay, hold for 15 seconds while I switch this. Okay, I'm back. Um, okay, so it looks like 12 to one is the best I can get on this. 12 to one, um, Mason Smith. <laughs> Yeah, yeah seems worth a, seems worth a poke. I've uh, I've never seen the man box. I've also never seen Nikita Smith box. I've seen his brother. Nikita Sue, I've excuse seen, you. Oh, Nikita Sue. Uh, I've seen his brother and his dad. Uh, both <laughs> okay. good, but I don't know what he's like. And what about Mason Smith's lineage? Uh, I looked him up on Box Rec today. He would fought one time, uh, and it was a victory. Uh, and, it, and he only had one documented amateur fight. So uh, who knows whether he's going to win or not. But I suppose at 12 to 1, it's worth a throw. Do you um, bet boxing Sema at all, ever? I've, I recall a comment um, when Spratsbetter and I were talking about Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor. You have a clue on boxing or you follow it or make bets on it occasionally? I used to read uh, Dan Raphael's chat every week when he was on ESPN, which was like a three-hour-long transcript. Um, I suppose I follow it enough to the point where you can spot the the things that are insanely wrong. I mean, anybody could have spotted the Mayweather-McGregor. I don't need to be sure. the 15th person on your podcast to say no, no, no. they get everything they had. Uh, but there are things, I suppose, that allow you to – uh, spot whether a, a fight is going to be a good bet. And it's always in, at the moment, it seems to be in the Mickey Mouse fights. You know, I wasn't betting on Canelo versus Bivol uh, in the in that fight uh, on Saturday. But, the, and like, there's no reason to get involved in that fight. He's the most popular fighter going around at the moment, Canelo. But he's not large enough to the point where he causes euphoric uh, or I suppose like a phenomenal wave of support that's going to uh, put his price at the um, at an inefficient number. Um, you have to have so much volume and so much dumb volume bidding into this stuff without a whole bunch of professional volume to soak it up. So, you know, the Logan Paul type fights and then in Australia, a guy, Paul Gallon, who used to play rugby league, uh, Sonny Bill Williams, uh, who's from New Zealand, used to play rugby. Um, these types of fighters... Uh, they generate massive interest among the dumbest of dumb sports bettors in Australia and New Zealand. And so you can get pretty good volume down on things where you're getting massive edges. Just, uh, uh, Sonny Bill Williams was 25 pounds heavier than the boxer that he fought, had been training in camp with Tyson Fury, and he went to fight a 40-year-old dude who used to play Australian rules football, and you could get him at minus 150. So I suppose... Uh, to the long way of saying I, I follow it enough to know yeah. when to, when things are wrong in the joke fights without being, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be out here capping Canelo fights. Who's, who is capping Canelo fights? I don't know. Are there any really professionals like... that are betting boxing daily grind, like not Rorton, not Ricken, but more just betting? I listened to like the Pinnacle Punches Chance podcast uh, this morning, which kind of like they talked about the the Canelo fight and and a, a lead up, but they didn't really seem all that clued up either. So you know the one dude who talks about boxing on the timeline is that Broner dude. 
Uh, yeah. He talked about uh, he kind of talked about um, Tyson Fury and the Deontay Wilder third fight. Uh, he talked about the no knockout being a good bet, which I actually agreed with. His logic seemed pretty sound. The price seemed pretty incorrect. Um, but I, I mean, who's the end boss of shipping into this stuff? I suppose it gets pretty deep towards the end in these major fights. So uh, I suppose like there has to be some groups out there doing it. But I mean, I certainly don't know who they are. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of these boxing listed though. There's one, two, three, four, five, eleven, fifteen. There's twenty listed on Bookmaker right now. Um, New South Wales, Australia for most of them, but Milan and Carson, California, London, Glen- Glendale, Arizona. It seems like they're mostly pretty lopsided, I guess. In boxing, the people who are good just go off huge favorites every time. Well, most of the time they're fighting uh, punching bags to, to inflate their record and what they call like marinate the fight, I suppose. So if you have a really good fighter uh, and they are on a collision course with another good fighter, you want to like build the story as much as possible. So um, I suppose they just get to milk um, the sort of bad fights and, and make enough money out of the bad fights on their consistent lead up to the to the good fight against the good fighters. Um, and then the, who's but, the market you know, for watching these good fights? It's just like normal people that are watching SportsCenter are also watching the big fight or they pay pay-per-view or something that these are all pay-per-view i think like the really big stuff uh obviously gets mainstream appeal boxing boxers are the highest grossing um fighters in the world but they obviously have the oh sorry the highest grossing sports people in the world floyd used to lead the the forbes list every year and uh pacquiao was right up there too canelo is right up there at the moment gennady golovkin uh tyson fury would be right up there but the thing is i suppose is that they don't really get it's it's far the distribution is far wider than like the UFC. Everyone knows who the you know twenty fifth best UFC fighter is, uh, whereas no one knows who the twenty fifth best boxer is. Even though he you know like the twenty fifth best pound for pound fighter, even though he's probably a world champion at some level. Uh, the yeah, it's they don't really get any appeal until they get right to the top level, but there are kind of boxing diehards, I suppose, that follow it, just like there are diehards that follow any sport or any team or anything like that. Sure. And then there probably are people who are grinding UFC because that's more regular or there's more fights, more something. Or no, same thing as boxing. There are so many more, like there are just so many more popular UFC fighters, I suppose where like the top earners won't earn anywhere near as much as the top boxing fighters, but the, uh, you know, the 10th best uh, or the 20th best UFC fighter uh, will earn so much more than the 20th best boxing fighter. And and the markets are so much deeper there too. Betfair is way deeper. Um, You know, uh, I suppose the major books are taking more money on those fights as well. Uh, Circle will post lines for most uh, UFC fights, whereas they'll only post them for the biggest boxing fights. And Bellator is a competing organization to UFC and they do the same thing, same rules. They're just different leagues. Yeah. It's just a minor league. I think, I mean, I I know far more about boxing than I do about the UFC, but that seems to be the case, at least from what I can tell the, all the shitty fighters are in Bellator. Okay. Yeah. It's like grouped into Bellator versus UFC and then other leagues here on the martial arts tab. 
Yeah, this seems this tough team. This stuff seems tough to bet on, but that's probably that's what makes a good bet if it's, if it's tough to bet on. <laughs> if, you, yeah. if it's easy to bet on, someone will solve it. I think that's I think that's the right answer. Like all these people talk about, um, you know, making this thing as easy as possible, or you know, getting into sports with heaps of data. No, you want to get into you want to get into the thing where no one wants to get into. If you want to make money and you want to really be able to get stuff where, you know, if you're not that good at things, then just go beat up on the little guy. Like pick your, it's like poker, I suppose. Like figure out your game selection. If you, you if you can't win in the, in the big leagues, then just go beat up, like win at a really high, uh, big blind per hundred rate on a, uh, on a lower level. You're speaking with, um, what I would call an accent as am I to you. Where are you from? Uh, from New Zealand originally, uh, slightly different to your previous guest, Sprott's Better, who's from Australia. Um, yeah, I came out, I now live in America, but uh, yeah, originally from uh, New Zealand by way of Australia. When I was in New Zealand, I was there for one month in um, 2020. I found the people to be, I was in Queenstown for the majority of the time. I found the people to be extraordinarily xenophobic. Is that a misrepresentation? Is that real? Uh, what's what's the deal there? I think potentially just Queenstown uh, and maybe the locals, especially uh, with it being such a tourist spot. I love it. It is a tourist maybe town. The most, maybe the most one of the most beautiful places on on earth. Uh, but yeah, there. I would say that um, it's probably the the wealthiest part of New Zealand because of uh, all the tourism, uh, and then those people the locals probably really don't like the tourists coming in and so yeah pretty xenophobic although that being said we have uh we have good indigenous relations i suppose far better than uh far better than most of the world sure um when you were growing up in new zealand in like 2007 or 8 i guess whenever it was coming out what was the cultural impact of flight of the concords it's an absolute nothing or do people know about it watch it yeah, I watched it uh, around then. I was early in my high school days, um, and I suppose I kind of, I really liked it, but I think I'd probably have to rewatch it now uh, to properly understand it. I thought uh, the Murray Hewitt character was very funny, um, but I suppose the thing about New Zealand is it's so small. Is uh, Brett McKenzie? Um, he was my ex-girlfriend's uh, high school music teacher. And he also plays in a band called the Black Seeds, uh, which really? they tour. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they they tour this uh, sort of vineyards in the summer and play New Zealand style reggae. Um, so yeah, Brett McKenzie, a man of many talents. Interesting, Oscar winner Brett McKenzie. Um, yeah, because Play the Concords is such a such an unusual show, and it kind of had a pretty big impact in America, I would say, especially like in the world of television shows, but. It's hard to know. And then when they give interviews, they say news, they kind of, they kind of make New Zealand a caricature. I was wondering kind of what it was a little bit more actually like how, how integrated you've mentioned everyone's kind of gets along there, but do people from, you know, Queenstown go hang out in Auckland and know the people in Christchurch or people like hopping around or do they mostly just stay wherever they're from? And it's kind of pretty regional despite being a relatively small country. I think people kind of zoom around a little bit. I went to uh, I went to the I went to college in Dunedin, 
uh, which is kind of a big melting pot of uh, Auckland, people from Auckland, people from Wellington, and people from Christchurch. Uh, and yeah, I suppose it's so small that if you were social and you went to college around the time that I went to college, I would tend to know who you are, um, which seems ridiculous. Like if you went to college in Auckland, uh, I would. <laughs> so you just know knew who everyone you who went to college in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, like you know, my my year level, like my cohort would have been. So there might have been ten thousand in my cohort in in Otago, and so you know there might only be fifty thousand kids that go to college uh, in one year. Um, sure. And so, you know, you don't know all of those. Like, I don't know fifty thousand people from New Zealand, but you know the people who were social and like went out and uh, then kicked on to, uh, I suppose, professional jobs in Auckland, especially. Uh, and went to parties and all that sort of stuff. You kind of just know the entire group of people who were that age, I suppose, yeah. which is kind of ridiculous. Like, I suppose the best, the best way to describe it is like um, my one of my best friends is the uh, nephew of the of uh, the prime minister, and like he used to just smoke bongs <laughs> with us all the time, and like uh, I don't know, get up to all sorts of mischief, um, and. Yeah, the, there were just no qualms. Like, he was just a, another person. Interesting. Um, in New Zealand, what are the big sports that the social crew watches or the sporting crew watches? What are people like, not really the betters, but like just regular folk? Yeah, rugby union is the, is the most popular sport uh, in cricket. Uh, those two are the biggest rugby union um, is kind of only it's like New Zealand is the best at rugby union. So we really support that, I suppose. And then cricket, is that different from regular that, rugby? But, uh, we're okay. Is rugby yeah, union rugby different league. than regular? Rug, rugby league is played in Australia. Uh, and then rugby union is mostly played in New Zealand. Uh and it's like, I suppose, two two versions of the same game. Not quite like CFL and, and NFL, but uh, kind of close, I suppose. Okay. Do people play these sports growing up? Like, did you play rugby union and cricket when you were a young chap? Yeah. Yeah, you play kind of a bit of everything if you're not too much of a dweeb. And, uh, yeah, played rugby until I was 14. And then uh, played basketball and swam um after that so yeah I, I suppose it's like relatively similar to most places except well to america except rugby union is there instead of um instead of football and um cricket is there instead of baseball everything else is similar basketball is probably the next biggest um yeah we got netball which is uh kind of just a hybrid version of basketball but played by girls and uh and boys right netball's in the olympics as a men's sport or no no, no, just uh, just women. Although I suppose that's like another spot where you can find a rot was uh, the new thing that. So during COVID times, obviously they couldn't get. Uh, it would be pretty difficult for teams to tour in New Zealand. So the uh, New Zealand women's team would play the New Zealand men's team, uh, and it would be booked by the local uh, the local um, bookie and well, not local bookie, the national bookie in New Zealand, the New Zealand TAB. Uh, and they would take like reasonable limits and you could go jam kiosk on those. And um, yeah, so you could bet on something that 
no one is going to have any idea of. They got no idea whether uh, uh, the male team is going to be any good versus the the female team. Um, and you know, uh, the male team had a uh, six foot nine player on the team as the goal shoot, which is kind of overpowering. And um, yeah, no one had any idea how to how to book that. So nobody plays baseball in New Zealand. It's only cricket. Like you can't. There aren't baseball teams. No, there's there are there are baseball teams. I think uh, the New Zealand professional team, the Auckland Tuatara, they tried to sign Manny Ramirez. I think when he was like forty three, possibly. Okay. Um, but he never never made it on the plane. Uh, so yeah, we have one professional baseball team. They play in the uh the Australian Baseball League. Um. And yeah, they're not all that successful, but uh, we they, they play soft like softball is pretty big in New Zealand, even and on the men's side. Like I think the men were national, I mean, world champions uh, multiple times. Uh, and then they, I suppose, they try to convert all the softball players to play baseball now so that they can go play in college. Okay. Yeah, softball is pretty big in America, I'd say too, on both both sides. Fast pitch softball. Yeah, yeah. Only fast pitch. No one really plays slow slow pitch softball. It's not like a social sport, I suppose. Yeah. Um, what is a fifth tackle? <laughs> um, fifth tackle is a rugby league where so rugby you, union kind of or like, rugby league. No, rugby league. Rugby union. You have an unlimited set of tackles, and then rugby union. I mean, sorry, rugby. Sorry, rugby union, unlimited set of tackles. Rugby league, you have like a confined set of tackles, similar to uh, downs in American football, um, where you have, yeah, uh, five or six tackles. Uh, After you've been tackled five times, you're then trying to advance the ball as far down the field as possible via a kick or uh, you're, you're kind of taking as many risks as possible. I can't even think of the tweet I put up about fifth tackle. There's been a few. Um, <laughs> you, you were explaining to someone that a, a side that they thought wasn't as good as they thought it was because the team in question didn't even have a fifth tackle or only had one fifth tackle. Or I'm not really sure. It was kind of in a hybrid language that I wasn't quite familiar with. Just kind of wondering what that was. Um, yeah, those sports are pretty... It's pretty unusual to me that they're, those sports continue to be so widespread or it, it it would seem to me like the world would kind of merge into playing all the same sports it's pretty impressive how regional sports still are um yeah today. i would have thought so too i suppose it's like the commonwealth versus america like america plays you guys play your own sports and then the commonwealth play different sports and then everyone else plays soccer yeah <laughs> What about like tennis in New Zealand? Is tennis popular? Or yeah, not really? but we're not we're not very good. Actually, that's a I suppose that's a that's a good one. Uh, and I've tweeted about this before, but uh, probably my most famous Eskimo bro is um, Cameron Norrie, who um, <laughs> who won Indian won, Wells. Won, who won Indian Wells? Yeah, um, yeah. I uh, I I had a bet on Cameron Norrie. Um, and the girl who used to uh, date Cameron Nori was um, sleeping in the bed next, or in my bed. Uh, and I woke up in the morning, 
And she kind of asked, like, oh, who did you have? I went over to check my phone, and she asked who I had a bet on. And um, I said, oh, it was Cameron Norrie. And then she's very nonchalantly said, oh, um, I used to date him. Um, so that motherfucker cost me a, cost me four figures and uh, and also used to sleep with the girl that I was dating. So it was uh, it was a unwelcome surprise in the morning. Wow. It was she in New Zealand uh, last year as well? Yeah, she was. Cameron... Cameron Norrie, and Cameron uh, is as well. Everyone knows each other down there. <laughs> no, he's he's from he's from England, but um, he kind of grew up in New Zealand. He represents England, but yeah, grew up in New Zealand, and uh, he was down playing some Challenger Series stuff, and I think uh, yeah, shacked up with with uh, this lovely lady for a little summer fling, and and then um, and then he and then he came down to the Australian Open and dived straight into her DMs um, as soon as he got down there. So that was uh, oh, really? that was really good to really good stuff. So she kind of she left the shipper for Cameron. No, I uh, I left this lady uh, to come to the United States. Um, she was uh, she was just a friend during COVID times. Gotcha. Um, okay. Who's uh, you, who's who's your who's your most famous Eskimo bro? I suppose that's probably the best thing to pack around. <laughs> um, I I don't really know. I mean, I I don't know. Certainly, no one as famous as that. Or I I'm not as tight with these famous people in your social circles as you are. I would have to do some Eskimo research before uh, I could finalize the family tree. Yeah, well, there you go. Cameron Nori. Okay. Um, although I did have to Google him. So fairly famous. Yeah. I think he was like, I think he got to number 10 in the world. Uh, he was pretty, yeah, winning Indian Wells. Probably the worst yeah, player that's a big ever deal. won Indian Wells. When you are, are you ever watching sports or following sports without having action on it? Or are you kind of going where the rorts are, following the thing and going from one sport to the next? And kind of sounds like you've had a bet on a fair, fair few sports out there. No, I think that that's part of my edge is, um, is asking the right questions about sport and trying to frame it. But like so many idiots just sit on the couch and they think that they can beat sport with, um, you know, just their eyes or, you know, they have some theory about something and they can't test it. I'm not, you know, I can't test that many, that, that many uh, theories and opinions, but I suppose what I always try to do is make sure that any opinion that I have is, is placed in a framework that, can produce some reasonable number. So for example, you know, um, I will have read something about how wide, a, uh, how wide an impact of a player can be on a point spread uh, in the NFL. Like I know what a quarterback is worth and, and, um, and what the range of quarterbacks could be worth. Uh, okay. and, then, and then also the same thing across the NBA. So now given uh, the NBA's range of point spreads, so, uh, I suppose the best thing to look at would be like five-year RAPM. Um, you know, the best player might be a plus six and then the worst player might be a minus five. So you can get a range of between like the absolutely terrible Didi Lozada, RJ Hampton type player. Um, they might be a minus five and then the LeBron James might be a plus six. Now, then I suppose you have to take that and then infer, okay, how wide could the distribution possibly be on one of these shitty leagues? where some high school player has to come in and then what's the highest level quality of the you know best player in the league how wide can that distribution be 
And then what if it's like, and so that, that for the, uh, is a good example of like the New Zealand league where you might have a 16 year old coming in to replace, uh, some dude who is a fringe NBA player. Um, whereas in the Australian league, the worst players and best players are so much closer, even closer than the NBA, because I suppose the talent distribution, once you get to that level is quite smushed. So I'm always trying to bring something back to a known truth and the known truth in that position being, you know, how wide the distribution could be of RAPM in the NBA. And then kind of just like using that to extrapolate out uh, some of my like theories and questions. And I try to do that for every sport, I suppose. When are there high school players coming to play in these leagues? What leagues are these? In the New Zealand league, uh, high school, high school minutes would probably take up maybe like 10% of all the minutes played. And then on some teams, some teams are so bad. Like, so I, uh, I was an assistant coach in the New Zealand league, um, what? for a year. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I was, is uh, this like, uh, high school players are playing. Anyone can be a coach type deal. Everyone's Eskimo brothers, New Zealand nonsense. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't certainly it's, it's crazy because this league, it, ha- it does have like fringe NBA players. Like we had uh Tory Craig in the league who, who, who now plays for the Phoenix he's Suns. The I think he's probably playing yeah. it at this very second uh, in the, in the playoffs. Uh, so we oh, had Tory really? Craig in the league. Um, and, but then we also like, there was a game where a 14 year old got on the court and it wasn't like a Luka Doncic 14 year old. Like this dude's now 20 and still can't get on the court. Like he was terrible. <laughs> um, and so, so you have a, a, an NBA player going up against a kid who is like <laughs> not even not even the best junior in their region. So how does um, he so get like, on the court? How do they pick this guy? Is he from the region well, that the team's from or something? Or he's the coach's kid? Yeah. Yeah, like bo- both both of the above. Like the he'll be from the region and will be training with the team and like um yeah, trying th- a lot of a lot of the New Zealand league is about developing the regions. And so he'll, he'll be invited to come and be a body at practice, basically. And then they'll blow some, and then if they're blowing someone out, they might try and get him on the court. They'll kind of like rotate through all the juniors, like what, you know, one junior or two juniors might get to sit on the bench one game and then two juniors the next game, blah, 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 to, to make it feel like the practices are worthwhile. Uh, in this particular game, he got, got on the court. I think they were up like 13 with two minutes to go. And he was so bad that uh, they ended up having to sub the starters back in with like 40 seconds left because <laughs> uh, the other team went on an 8-0 run. He was, yeah, tried to bring it up the court and got it got ripped. Uh, and then, yeah, 8-0 run and then starters had to come back in. So, yeah, that, like that's obviously at the most extreme levels, the, the NBA player and the, and the 14-year-old kid. But so often you will get, you know, the only the you know, 15th best 18 year old in the country and like New Zealand's not that big of a country like this this 15 15th best player is going to be like genuinely a minus 10 or a minus 11 and the best player players are going to be you know plus eight and so all you need is a couple of those injuries and all of a sudden you've got something that's wrong by you know uh, 13 to 15 points which you just can't get enough money on. Like you're trying to get every every single dollar you possibly can down, and you know it's good as soon as you get it in. Like you're celebrating as soon as the bet goes through. And are you making all these bets on the New Zealand's national bookmaker, or are there like locals in New Zealand too? Or do you where who carries this stuff? I mean, I think it's it's kind of like an advantage being from one of 
being from New Zealand, I feel like I don't even, at least the awareness of, I don't think I've ever seen New Zealand basketball. I mean, I clearly haven't looked, but like, yeah, where are you I, betting this besides point. the national account, which you just, what you, when you're 18 years old, you like submit your driver's license online and you like can make an account and deposit the money or whatever. Yeah, and they had like retail stores, which means you can go and hit kiosks. Um, unfortunately, they no longer have them at kiosks. I suppose this is like a good transition into a bit of a rot. But one time, uh, <laughs> one time, the the national bookmaker they sponsored the league, uh, and they decided so. Okay, as part of the sponsor of the league, we're going to. Or they also sponsored the MVP. So they were like, okay, we're going to put up a futures market on the MVP. They thought they wouldn't take any action, all good. No harm, no foul. But they didn't understand the scoring system of the MVP. Uh, and basically, they just had uh, the guy who was odds-on favorite, or who should have been odds-on favorite, uh, at 8-1. to one. Um, A guy named Nick Kay, who, who's a very good player, like was playing starters minutes on, uh, on the Australian Olympic team. Um, so this guy was very likely to win. Um, and we were able to go and hit the machines. Uh, the machines in New Zealand, they don't understand that um, it's a new, it's not a new client coming and placing a bet. So if you know what the limit is, you can bet the limit and just keep mashing it um, until basically until the trader turns it off. So we were able to go and set up and hit from a whole bunch of different books across the country um, and sort of bang this thing over and over and over again. Um, and so, and like, you're able to get pretty decent volume, like to win 20 grand pretty easily just by smashing this stuff. And it's stuff that, you know, is paying eight to one and should be odds on. Um, and then the other, Sounds good. the other thing is I used to, uh, so I used to, I actually used to be an MVP voter in the New Zealand league. Um, this was, Naturally. I used to like, used to like write about the league and, uh, do a podcast about the league, I suppose, to get some information. And this was before I went into coaching. And then when I was coaching as well. How, fuck, how old coaching. are you? What are you talking about? Like, what, You've uh, been a coach. Uh, what Did you play in the New Zealand league? No, no, I wasn't that good. I wasn't that good. No, I'm, I'm 20. I'm 28. Um, but okay. yeah, so, so I, uh, yeah, used to vote here. And so like people kind of, I didn't have like a, there wasn't like a big following. There's not a big following of the New Zealand leagues, believe it or not. But um, what I was able to do was I was able to kind of get the most influential people, the guys who would vote and they would kind of listen a little bit. And so this was the sure. first, the, the, the year that I bid on the MVP was the first year that I was no longer an official voter. I'd uh, moved, moved out of uh, New Zealand. But all these people, I suppose, still kind of listen to me a little bit. And so I wrote this article, this big article, um, really outlining exactly why this guy should be the MVP, presented it very, uh, in a very unbiased fashion, and then um, sent it to all of the voters, because uh, I knew who would be the voters. Um, I don't think it really made that much of a difference. I think he would have won anyway. But uh, yeah, I suppose I was trying. It's... Uh, it's not quite like the spanky pretending to be uh, the report, news reporter or whatever and calling up the the um, the team's athletic director, but that was it's the New Zealand version of that. Wow, interesting. That's uh, pretty impressive. I'm looking at the New Zealand league on Bookmaker right now, 
And we've got the Hawks Bay Hawks are playing the Southland Sharks. Hawks Bay lay in three, minus 118. And I've got a $50 max bet on it. 5-0, 5-0 USD. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit deeper <clears throat> everywhere else, I suppose. Um, yeah. And, and to answer your question, there are like 50 books in Australia and about 25 of these carry them. And they're basically, most of them are just pinnacle copiers. Um, so they'll go up, they'll be up now. Um, and I typically will avoid um, hitting those until sure. a little bit later. Um, and I only really try to bash those if I, uh, if I have a really, really good one, um, you know, like a four point edge or five point edge, which seems obviously seems really good. Um, it's not really worth burning those accounts, but more likely, you know, potentially getting stiffed like for uh, third party account usage. Um, it's not really worth just going crazy and, and opening new accounts there. Like, there was one. There's one book in Australia called Picklebet, uh, which are like a esports book. Um, and basically, they they had like a bet max button, which was really good. Um, so we were able to bet, hit the bet max on um, you know the money line, the spread, the first half money line, the every single alternate spread, every single first half alternate spread, first quarter money line, first quarter spread, blah blah blah, everything, uh, half time, full time, double. And we, we I think we might have been able to get like you know, eight grand or something like that down on, on something that they really only wanted to take 500 bucks. Anyway, we hit them all good account gets banned. Sweet. And then next, the next week we tried again, but from two different accounts. Um, and then they were actually pretty good about it. They were like, okay, look, we know what you're doing. Like you can have it off one account, but everything else is gone. And then the next week they send us an email saying that, uh, that they were no longer booking the league because it was, uh, suspicious, suspicious, um so i suppose you get you get things like that where um yeah books like they definitely know what you're doing if you're trying to hit it off of fresh accounts consistently and so you kind of you have to save those for the most um the best times um but the place to get down um is there's like a there are some books in asia that'll take pretty pretty decent money uh, and the reason for that is that it's um, it is uh, played at a really good time. Like the New Zealand league will tip off at 3 p.m. Chinese time, um, and there's not a ton else going on in the world at that time. So you're you're just betting with a whole bunch of um, you know retail Chinese uh, businessmen. And the other thing is that the way that the Chinese market works is you send your bets through to an agent. Uh, and the agent then packages all the bets kind of like a, a CDO um, and then sends it up to the bookmaker. So the bookmaker is getting what well, looks, you know, the whole thing looks really good as a package um, and they can't really tell who's slipped in the, you know, the 5% of the action that's red hot that they don't want. So, um, and then the other thing is the agent, when you place the bets, and this is pretty shady now, is that you place the bets and then they'll close down the book, uh, the Asian book, and then they just they just front run the fuck out of you and bang it everywhere else across the whole world. So you just see the locks go on, and then you see Pinnacle crash, and then you see everywhere everywhere else crash. And normally about this time, Pinnacle's like five hundred or a thousand, uh, so they can get like a pretty decent fill there. And then they're just bashing it probably at every other Asian book and everywhere else that that it happens. So it's kind of a I suppose like yeah, I'm getting front run a little bit in this spot, but it's a little bit symbiotic that the agent really wants the sharp work 
I want the sharp work to get in there. The bookmaker doesn't care because it's packaged up all together and like no one really loses apart from like all the other books. Yeah. So when you hashtag end boss, you would say you're the end boss of the New Zealand basketball market. Yeah, obviously that's, uh, it's mostly a bit of a joke, but, uh, yeah, I said to, I said to a, a group chat that, uh, when I tell the market to move, I tell it where to move and when to move. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so if I, if I say that it should be a number, then it'll get, it'll get to that number. Okay. The market lessons. Mm. What I is suppose a... that probably means that I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing a good enough job of hiding the action, but I suppose like I'm getting a de- pretty decent. What are you going to do? I mean, it's the freaking yeah. I don't think you have much of a choice, although maybe I'm wrong. Um, Sounds like you're getting a decent, decent bit down. Um, yeah, that sort of stuff is crazy. I don't think they even. I've been looking through my accounts. I don't even see any New Zealand basketball in any of them, other than the fifty on Bookmaker. Let's see how much they move. I'll just, I'll just hit fifty here. See, do you like Hawks Bay minus three or Southland Sharks? I'm gonna go with Hawks Bay. Got to lay the favorite. And they moved it to minus one twenty four yep. from minus one eighteen. <laughs> okay, so you probably can't probably can't get too much down on Bookmaker. This is a high theoretical hold too. Um, I I can uh, I can solidly swear that I've uh, I've actually never been into never been into Bookmaker on the uh, New Zealand NBL. Over under one seventy one. It's pretty high. I'll go. I guess I'm I'm thinking college. These are professionals. How many minutes is the game? 40. They went to four and a half. They just went to four and a half. <laughs> I am the steam. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. 40 minute games. Okay. So it's like high end college basketball. Unless maybe Hawks Bay is moving, moving at a quick pace. <laughs> um, the, um, I suppose that's, that's uh, the level of the, the level of the teams are actually like pretty good. Like I think I would peg, the best maybe not this year but maybe a couple of years ago when when the league was a little bit better the best teams would would be probably a pick against like an average top 25 college basketball team okay and what is the route for someone who's really good at basketball who finds themselves playing for the hawks bay hawks how how long do they last because they're probably not getting paid the most money in the world or it's not not the most prestigious league around town or do they yeah, have? Do there people with long careers in the in the NZBL? No, like Stephen Adams played in the New Zealand NBL. Um, okay. And but but then so the the really good guys they'll play in their final year of high school, and then they'll go to college. Um, the guys who are a little bit lower than that they'll play uh, sort of up until in, into their twenties, and then they'll go play in Australia mostly, and then a little bit in Europe. Um, so. Yeah, like the best players, the best New Zealand players on the New Zealand national team, probably only making like four hundred grand a year. Okay, it's not bad. Man, I was looking at this. I looked at the Dallas, the Mavericks Suns game here, and Mavericks were winning when I last checked, and they're down twenty eight right now. <laughs> the game's about to end. Looks like uh, second half Mavericks betters are losing their mind, getting crushed here. Down. 25 in the second half jesus um okay what about what is a kaba 
Oh, cobber. It's like a, it's like an Australian term um, for a friend. Um, okay. So I suppose I've used, I've kind of flip-flopped a little bit. I, 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 I throw in a, quite a bit of Australian lingo. Um, yeah. Because I was based, based in Australia for quite a while there. And How long were you in Australia? Actually, and where were you based? Uh, a couple, two and a half years in, in Melbourne. Um, but I suppose like the original reason why the shipper account started was I used to tweet at books pretending, <laughs> pretending to be a fan of the other team um, to ask them to put up a market. So like I think one of my first ever tweets was um, asking them to put up the a game of domestic cricket in New Zealand um, between Auckland and Otago. And I just kind of pretended to be an Otago fan because um, I wanted to bet on Auckland. Uh, I don't know if that has ever worked, but um, I don't know, maybe it might that if, you know, you pretend to be a fan of one team, then the other, the, like, and you're, and you're requesting a market to go up, then the traders might try and uh, shade it your way a little bit slick and, <laughs> Yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I tried tried that, and then uh, and then yeah, it evolved into lots of Australian tweets. Um, I started um, tweeting at a guy John Scores, who used to be a a jockey um, in Australia. And and the thing was, I didn't really, I've never heard of John Scores. So I'm actually I'm a vegan. I don't bet on horse racing. Um, so I like I have no idea who this dude is, but he um every time he'd put any, any piece of content, it could be any tweet out. He could talk about taking his wife out for dinner and people would call him a legend every time. Uh, and so I suppose it kind of just evolved from there. And so <laughs> I tried to, um, I tried to tweet at Scorsi every day that he would put up a piece of content and try and work in a new Australian term. So he started as a legend and then he became a dead set legend and then, yeah, like, that's fair dinkum. Fair dinkum. Yeah, yeah. Um, what does fair then, dinkum mean? Uh, it means like uh, no lie, I suppose. No cap, as the uh, as Americans would say. No cap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I've, uh, I'm not yeah, hanging no. around the right Americans. Never heard anyone say that. <laughs> yeah, fair fair dinkum means yeah, you're not telling any lies. Um, yeah, I'm being straight up. Okay, I've heard my Australian lingo. I've heard is say less. Do people say that? Uh yeah. I thought there was a. I thought there was like a worldwide thing, but it might be worldwide. Just Australian. Um. Okay. So scores. So can you explain? You said I'm a vegan. I don't bet on horse racing. Can you add more words to the middle of the sentence to make me um fit oh, those two well, together? Like if- Horses, horses, they, uh, they don't, they don't really like, well, they probably like going, doing the running race, but they, they certainly, uh, they like, uh, internally bleed and they, they, it's not really that great for horses to be just running around a track. I reckon let them out and let them out in the wild and roam free. Okay. I gotcha. So you're not, a, not on board with the horses. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Although like, I also don't have an edge there, so. Um, maybe <laughs> so you might reconsider your veganism if there was an edge to be had. If Scorsese starts fair dinkum and a little bit more, um. yeah, leads me to good mail. I suppose that's uh, that's another one. Is like um, so there's this so the New Zealand national bookmaker, the TAB New Zealand. They um, speaking of the good mail, that like they they have like an ambassador, former international cricketer Ian Smith, who's like a radio broadcaster, 
and he puts up a multi of the day every day and like so i reckon the content people are are joking sometimes they he included the oryx buffaloes in in the nippon baseball league how is ian smith how how could you ever convince it's like um it's like if you had Tom Brady giving out a tip, would he? He would not. He would not be including that the um, the the Nippon Baseball League. He's got no idea about the Nippon Baseball League, and everyone knows he's got no idea about it. So, in in what world is is Smithy going to have the mail on this? And then also, like he included, I think he had the Japanese baseball Liga MX, and then like the Sacramento Kings to win by eleven or more or something. It kind of sounds like there is a broadcaster on TVG named Paul LaDuca who used to play baseball and has similar sorts of picks. He gives out that sort of nonsense. Um, Is Ian Smith the Tom Brady of New Zealand? No, he's like, he's a bit of a character though. Um, There's like a a thing on, um, I suppose his most, one of his most famous commentary moments is, um, He's commentating a game, and then someone hits the ball out of the park, and then it smashes into his, <laughs> smashes into his rental car. Um, and yeah, you can you can hear him exclaiming on air. He's very upset about the guy hitting the ball into his rental car. So, it's, so uh, Ian, so Ian Smith fun. is renting cars. So he can't. You, what? That seems kind of an well, odd equilibrium. No, he doesn't got, have. He's got. Or a, he's renting like a nice car. A, travel like traveling around the country. Like he's a he was a com, he's a commentator on the cricket game. And so they'll fly him out to a place and then like, you have to get a rental car to, sure. to drive to the, to the, to the game. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. <laughs> okay. New, New um, Zealand is like a, it's just, it's such a meme overall. Like it's so small and so stupid um, that, yeah, there are just so many, like, I suppose, small town things that go on. What's like a typical person who's from, town xyz in new zealand what's the, what's their life look like what do they, they go to school and maybe go to college and what do they do afterwards or they have some kids or they do some farming or what's like the your everyday new zealander your everyday kiwi yeah. getting up to for their life's work i suppose it's um yeah lots of farming lots of um and the farmers are really wealthy as well they have heaps sheep of farming what what, uh, what sort of stuff are we farming here yeah, dairy, dairy farming. The cows, like dairy cows, make heaps of money. So, um, lots of lots of farmers. But then, I suppose, like the average person, the average like upper class person, will go to uh, they'll go to school and then they'll go to college, and then they'll they'll like go to either Melbourne or London for two years, uh, and then come back and uh, work. In Melbourne or job. London? What about like Auckland or Wellington or? Sydney or nah, Hob- Hobart. <laughs> um, no, they uh, like it's really easy to get a visa. Like you don't have to get a visa to go to Melbourne, and then you uh, if you fly to like London's really easy to get a visa too. So um, yeah, everyone will go there, and then they'll come back uh, and start working as a professional in some law job or some um, finance job or whatever. I suppose like Auckland is they'll, they'll all go live in Auckland. And, um, yeah, they'll just live a regular life, I suppose. Okay. And then with rugby union and rugby league, what is super rugby? Is uh, a third? Super rugby is like, um, no, super rugby is like the, the brand of the competition, kind of like the NFL. 
uh, is the okay. is the brand of competition in, in American football. Uh, it's like a trans Tasman competition. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's not really anything like it in the U S. Um, but it's, I suppose it's kind of like the champions league in soccer to some extent, not quite, but, uh, yeah, it's played between Australia and New Zealand. South Africa used to be a part of it too. And it's like, that's kind of the highest level of professional sports in New Zealand, apart from like playing national team stuff. Like those guys are the most uh, well-known, like biggest athletes in New Zealand. They all play uh, super rugby um, and they might make, I don't know, 200 grand a year playing for their their team. And then if they play for the All Blacks, then they'll make another between 500 and a million. Okay. Um, I suppose like the betting and the, the betting markets on on these things, like they're considered pretty high tier, but I don't know how much information and like how easy it is to beat because the data on this stuff is not that great. So like the big groups, I don't think playing that heavily into it, but I suppose like there has to be some groups in England. Like I just don't think that there are that many sharp groups in Australia and New Zealand, like betting into, into this stuff, but the market is actually, you know, reasonably deep. Um, there's a book, top sport in Australia that will take sharp action. Um, and like on in rugby league um, in some of the biggest games, well, in the, just in, in the regular NRL, they'll bet, they'll bet to win 10 grand uh, after the teams have been announced. So uh, yeah, it's like reasonably deep and um, probably not that sharp of a market to beat. That would be probably the thing that I would try to get into if I um, wasn't, you know, just betting rorts. Sure. Were, um, are you involved with the WNBA at all? Or was the Seattle Storm just a rort? Yeah, the Seattle Storm was just a rort. They, um, they went up at 5-1 uh, to one to win the title. Um, Jacob Goldstein, who uh, made PIPM, he had them 63%. Um, the ESPN preview article um, had, them, had every single person pick them to win. Um, and so, you know, five to one was never going to be that good. And the thing is like, all right, you're not going to be able to get a shitload down on it. But one of my biggest things is that, especially if you can take bottom price, then you're going to be able to get so much more. So if, if there's five to one out there that in the market and you're taking four to one, these books are just going to think that you're an idiot uh, and you're going to be able to bet into it. And like, I suppose this is uh, this kind of leads into another conversation about uh, all these, you know, the current state of gambling Twitter, all about taking top price. Like, no, that doesn't matter at all. Like that matters if you're trying to grind out some shitty living. And this is why everyone talks about how sports betting is so hard. Sports betting is not hard. Sports betting is really easy if you have really good fears and you have fears that are just so far off market and like, and they're way better than everybody else that you can just take the bottom price. Because then you're going to get edges that are just so so big, and the and like, you know, books especially if you if you're able to bet parlays. So when I bet the Seattle Storm, I parlayed it into Montrez Harold to win six man of the year, which was like, I think it was uh, plus two twenty five. So plus two twenty five into five to one, you're getting a massive massive edge on something that basically should have been you know three to one, and you're getting fifteen to one. Um, it, you're you don't even need to like get it in that good and if you bet it and you're betting in a parlay it looks pretty stupid to start with but then also if the books reduce the reduce the price or you know like roll the market 
they move it from five to one to four to one, and they move Harrell in from plus 225 to plus 200, you just bet it again because your fare is just so much better than everyone else's that you can just keep betting it. And they think you're an idiot because you're taking way less than what you could get out there in the open market. And like books have so much confidence in what the market price is that you can just end up getting a shitload down. I can get on board with that philosophy with the storm is Jacob Goldstein creator of PIPM. Is that your fair? Is that 50? I mean, can we trust him totally? I, I, this is the no, first I'm hearing absolutely. of him. Well, so he works for the, he works for the Washington wizards now. Okay. Um, but he was like 63% might not be correct, might not be correct. And PIPM is, was really good. And like, you know, the methodology is pretty sound. And you look at the, you look at, okay, like. This guy has an incredible like, Twitter profile picture, by the way. It like, it's an interesting angle. What it is. He's, he's a very skinny looking man. Continue. Yeah. I've never met him, but I'd buy him a bear if, uh, if I did meet him. Uh, he's yeah, won he me could. a bit of money over the, over the journey. <laughs> um, but so, all right, 63% might not be correct. But then also you look at like the qualitative factors. Okay, why are these guys so underrated in the market and it's Brianna Stewart's coming back. She's coming off a, off, off Achilles surgery. And then they got traded uh, the DPOY from the previous year, who was like, um, you know, an all WNBA first team member. So the books, they probably know this, but no one's bidding into the WNBA futures market. They've probably gone up. They've gone up in some order that they think is like coherent. They're largely basing it off of last year. Um, they don't really follow things that much. And the thing is like one book will go up, might be bet online, might be, you know, it might be sports bet or uh, FanDuel will go up with the market and then everyone else just copies it. And it kind of just sits there because no one's betting into the market. They, they're too, you know, they don't want to bet futures. They don't want to tie up the capital for a little, for a little while. And then, yeah, that's the thing. Like the books aren't going to move anywhere near enough because when you bet into this sort of thing, um, they are like, well, you know, when someone normally bets something that's six to one, I move it to um, plus 450, you know, so, oh, this one's a little bit more volatile than that. I'll move it to plus 400. No, you shouldn't move it to plus 400. You should move to plus 200. Like if someone's yeah. trying to smash this thing nine months out and I mean, it's, it's probably hard to ascertain, you know, better, better motivations all the time when you've got all these bets flooding in, but I don't know, like, I don't think the books really realize just how wide that, you know, just how wrong that they can be. And, and, you know, we've got heroes like Captain Jack out there in the world telling everyone that these bets are terrible because of the theoretical hold. And, and that's what really makes us the money is like, yeah, yeah there's a theoretical 40% hold on this and it's 12 teams. Like, yeah, good luck. You've got, you've, you've only got, you've only got three and a half percent per runner to, to a portion to these teams. You're not going to get it right. You're going to get it so far, you know, you, you're going to be way unders on some, some runners and way overs on, uh, on some of the other ones. So yeah, they're, they're going to be wrong by such a large portion that you can just end up taking unders and then, um, you know, books are going to tick you off for pretty large numbers. How long have you been betting on these sorts of things? Is this like you first started betting with a hundred bucks in some account and was like the New Zealand six man of the year is wrong and I'm going to bet the account balance on it or something. I mean, it seems, yeah, it sounds all close. good to me, but I've, I've been betting for 
a few years now, I've never once bet on any of this shit. I mean, clearly I'm doing something, some things wrong, but how did you uh, start betting like this? It's pretty close to that. Like I started with, um, in New Zealand, you can, um, you can take a thousand dollar loan from the government, um, to like buy a laptop or like buy like, you know, college supplies. It's called, um, course related costs. So everyone normally takes it out and then buys like some DJ decks or, um, throws a party. Uh, and I was like, oh, I kind of been reading about gambling and I'd been interested in probability and all this sort of stuff. I studied finance and economics and, you know, I, I thought, okay. Uh, and then also, you know, I was, I was like, okay, I'm only going to be into the New Zealand NBL. Like I believed in the efficient market hypothesis. This doesn't really seem to f- fulfill the conditions of the efficient market hypothesis. Like people aren't going to be betting into this shit. All good. So I took out a thousand dollars. And then I tried to follow like the very strict bankroll management. Like I was betting 40 bucks a game and I ran it up and um, I got, I think I might've made like $1,100 that first year. Um, and my, I got my bet three, six, five account limited. And I thought I was, you know, I thought I was an emboss back then. Um, and so I suppose like that was what, seven, eight years ago, seven or eight years ago. And then it's kind of just like escalated and got bigger and bigger. And I've, you know, found that more things don't really fit the uh, EMH. And then, yeah, uh, just started betting into more and more things. And and I suppose um, always thought that you can't win gambling. So approached it from the angle that, all right, I can't win. So I have to be, I have to know what the market doesn't know. And that's been a really big principle, I suppose, is like, I won't really bet into something unless I know why the market has it wrong. So if they're betting into, you know, it's, uh, I'm betting into the New Zealand NBL and I have injury information that the market doesn't have, or I'm just better at valuing some player. Cool. Like I know where my edge lies there. If I'm betting into something and I don't know why the mark, why the number is what it is, then I kind of really struggle to fire a little bit. Um, so a good example of this, like uh, game two of Boston versus Milwaukee, Boston lose game one. And never, ever have I seen uh, the zigzag effect, the, the half one, half two effect where um, a team might be minus three in the game and then they're minus three in the first half. Like that's a, that's the most widely known thing apart from plus EV analytics um, that, that um, people have kind of known that teams going down 0-2 going home, they get this massive boost in the first half. It happened in, the, in game two, uh, which I'd never seen before. And so obviously I thought, well, this is, this has to be a pretty good, like, why, why is this wrong? Um, but I, but I didn't really know what the market was valuing that I wasn't valuing or, or, or vice versa that I was valuing that the market wasn't. And so I'm pretty reluctant to just like fire into that sort of thing. And I suppose this kind of like dovetails a little bit into like, you know, why you can tell that nobody on gambling Twitter has any idea or like wants to actually give away any actionable information. Not a single soul talked about that on gambling Twitter. They all talked about how to rot promos and, and uh, you know, lower synthetic holds. They didn't actually care about something that is, you know, two points off and a, and a one half um, that, you know, it shouldn't be like that at all unless you have some uh, random, you know, effect that's going on. And in that game, Boston, I'm looking at my stuff. I don't have the first half score. Boston won the game by 23. Dominated the first half. They came out came out with a whole bunch of energy and dominated the first half. And and 
the same thing happened in the second game in, in game two of Memphis versus uh, Golden State too. Exactly the same effect, uh, which it hasn't like that's not the historical uh, place to be. And like, sure, I, I, I buy that, um, you know, people want to hide their edges and, and not tell people about these uh, about this if they do have an edge. That's, you know, a really good idea. But if you're marketing yourself as a content creator, you're marketing yourself as an educator, then how are you not talking about this? This stuff is so much more interesting than, you know, trying to trying to bet into something that's got like a 1% hold rather than a 4% hold. Like who gives, who, who gives a fuck? Try and try and make better, like making better fares is so much more important than, than lowering your hold and getting the best number. It's not even close. It's like 90% to 10%. Yeah, I can get on board with that. I mean, I think anyone who can get on board with that probably doesn't uh, enter the content content creation business although i guess i'm kind of towing the line between the, the two worlds um what about in these game fives coming up let me look at this stuff it looks like normal first half second half stuff in both of them boston's minus three first half minus five halves full game grizzlies are plus four plus 1.8 maybe first half. Um, yeah, these NBA playoff games, this is my first year betting the NBA. And I bet pretty much every day, every game, ran the numbers, grind out the bullshit. Probably wasn't any good. Um, these playoff games are pretty crazy. There's a lot of stuff that's weird and it's totally, it's a different ball game than the regular season, that's for sure. I was thinking that it would wanna, not be, but it definitely is. You, I'm I'm not even betting on the playoffs right now because I know that I'm missing stuff and I don't care to figure it out. Uh, just kind of jotting notes down and collecting stuff and waiting for next year. Do you want to talk about like the Embiid, um, how he told everyone that? Yeah, so you knew this. How how did you figure this out? I don't I don't follow the NBA even at like kind of. So I was. I was pretty out of the loop on this, although I did end up betting on the Heat to win in four and five, which both lost. So I guess I have you to thank for that. Uh, how did you, how did you figure that out? Well, we got an anon- anonymous tip, but but the after we decided to look into it, like it was so out there in plain sight. I mean, obviously you're going to have way more conviction when you know or when you have some extra well how out there uh, how out there in plain sight was it because previous podcast guest sam um and still undefeated he made what i thought was a good point before the news actually was confirmed good wrong point that the nba playoffs are very widely followed and by the time that you were fairly certain Embiid would be out at least for the first two games there was absolutely nothing on the internet saying that. So how do you know it, but no one else knows it? It was his question, and well, he, maybe there's a good answer to it. He said in the post-game broadcast, like the, in the post, post-game, he said, he broke my face. I think he broke my face. And then they asked how his eye was, and they were laughing. And he said, no, it's not good, man. It's bleeding. It's definitely not good. Uh, and then you watch it. There's a picture of him with a very swollen, very swollen. So what eye. happened? There was one then, one impact, like a guy was going down for a rebound and elbowed him in the face or something. 
yeah, Pascal Siakam was driving to the driving to the rim and sort of like brought the ball up into like into his face, which which is, happens all the time. Um, but yeah, caught him caught him right on the uh, orbital bone, and then uh, Embiid came right straight out of the game. Um, and the other like, so I thought, oh, okay, he's come out of the game. They were up twenty five with four minutes to go or something. But Tyrese Maxey and and, uh, and Tobias Harris stayed in the game. Uh, and so you put those things together and there's just no chance that he's not at least going to be questionable. And if he's questionable there and it's not and like, so if he's questionable for the thumb, sure. Like people just know that he's going to play, but if they say questionable for, you know, facial injury or concussion, then it's at least going to go to six. Like the market was four. Um, there was some question, there was some questionable stuff about Lowry. So going to go to six or six and a half. And then if he's out, it's going to be eight, eight and a half. And so there, like the thing is, is that because people just don't react until the information is kind of baked in and, and, and until that injury report came out, no one, uh, no one had anything, I suppose. And that's why I'm so surprised. Like, you know, I, I don't know how to stumble across these things consistently, but somebody had to be watching. Somebody had to hear him. Say like you know, did every single person switch off when they went up twenty five with five minutes to go? Somebody had to be watching the end of the game where he says he broke my face, my eye is no good, I'm bleeding. Like he came out of the game straight away. I just think there has to be like somebody has to think. You know, there's a pretty decent chance that he's at least questionable here. Yeah, and he do, you don't even have to be right. You don't even have to be right that often. Like what to beat the juice? There you have to be right ten percent of the time. He only has to be questionable twenty percent of the time, and you've got it in good already. Yeah, you've got it in good, but you have it's not a rort, is it? I mean, you might overbet it accidentally. I guess. Yeah, you, but in you can, this case, you did get it in good. You can, tra- can trade yourself out the other side if you really want to. And then, and like, I suppose an interesting point here is like, okay, what's the best way to what's the best way to get it in on when you find actionable information like this, and like. This is an area where all the Dumbos say, you know, there's no way to win same game parlay. This is the best thing for same game parlay. If you have injury information and there are props up, then you can bang the over on one of the prop. I mean, sorry, the under on one of the props. No, sorry, the over on one of the props on on the same team, Tobias Harris or, or Tyrese Maxey or James Harden, uh, and then you can you can uh, multi that into or parlay that with. Um, with some form of heat supremacy. And then those two things are very positively correlated with Embiid not playing. Uh, and so if you get Embiid not playing, then you're going to get in a really good. And you also look like an idiot because you're betting same game parlay. So uh, yeah, they're, like they're all, I think people are too, people very much um, apply too much like blanket, what's good for everybody analysis into all this stuff. Like I suppose this will lead back to me, getting the best number is a good idea for most people. Um, you know, using cash out is a bad idea for most people. Parlays are bad for most people. High theoretical hold, bad for most people. But if you like, you need, if you can lever that, uh, into your own bidding, then you're able to make way more money than, uh, than just people just banging into, um, pregame sites. I leveraged it into heat and four and heat and five. And then after they went up to, uh, and it seemed like Embiid might be out or might be back in. 
I bet Sixers and six and Sixers and seven. And we are now looking like I might somehow lose every single one of these bets that all were very good. I, I uh, yeah. Heat and six is going to be really painful. I, I have some Heat and seven savers, but Heat and six will be really painful. And it seems like we're looking at about a 45% chance of that happening after today's 35-point loss. Um, it seems like – I guess I have to look at what happened in this game, but – these playoff games too are pretty crazy. I always thought that in the NBA this season, regular season, like you don't want to look at the score midway through the game because it's going to end up close. No matter, even if you're under 20 points clear, your sides 50 points clear, these games just all have such crazy swings to me. It seems like, but these playoff games, some of them are like just one way traffic. I mean, 35 and 30 today on these two games. It's kind of crazy. There's a, uh, there's a reason for that. Um, so playoff games have actually have a, a wider distribution. Um, and I suppose I'm giving away a little bit here, but um, if you think about it, why do teams like catch up in the regular season? It's because uh, the team who's ahead plays a worse rotation. In the NBA, you've got more time. Off. I mean, sorry, in the playoffs, you've got more time off. And then also the games are more important. And so you're just going to play your best players more, even when you're leading, like you just put your foot on the throat a little bit more. Uh, and then also teams just play more optimally. They kind of don't like teams like to fuck around a little bit when they've got the lead uh, in the regular season uh, in the playoffs, the, the players a little bit more uh, amped up and try to make sure that they put their foot on the throat um, the, the whole way. And so you'll, you'll, you'll see more blowouts, uh, in that respect. And then, um, you know, if a game is like, so if the spread is four and a half at any point in the game, uh, the money line should in theory be tighter um, in the playoffs than in the, than in the regular season. And if the heat are up 15 entering the fourth quarter, if they might be minus 13 and a half live in the regular season, they probably should be like minus 16 and a half live in the playoffs or maybe not that extreme, but something like that. Yeah, it's not to that effect, but it is. Um, it is like that. Um, I think. Yeah, that uh, this probably this is another another spot where um, there have been rorts. Is like um, in the Australian League one time, this team they had to win by thirty four points, um, and they came out and full court pressed the entire game. Call cool, like the over with like, well, uh, how things I suppose. Sorry. How things work from um, an in-play trading perspective, from what I can tell, is um, that it'll basically just be purely based algorithmically off of the closing uh, spread and total, which is pretty correct for 99.5% of games. Um, Whenever there's like a rebase required, unless there's a trader actually actively looking at it, then and like looking at what's going on in the game, then it'll be completely incorrect. So this team, the Brisbane Bullets, they needed to win by 34, I think. And so they are full court pressing the entire game. Over is good the entire game. You just sit there mashing live over. Um, the other area where it will be good is like um, they are up by 28 going into the fourth quarter. They're going to be playing their starters the entire fourth quarter and the other team is probably just going to play their bench. So I suppose you can, you're can you like looking for random motivation effects that differ from what the, um, what the pregame uh, or sort of known um, inputs were 
And then that's like another area where you can find big rorts is like if you can properly you you know what the what the pregame model is taking into effect and so you kind of understand that all right it's not capturing this i can just blast away without without regard and you don't even need to make a number you just bet as much as you possibly can and then keep betting yeah sounds good i'm hoping mason smith is like that i have this up i kind of want to just keep betting this but i've i've kept a tame for now um is the genesis of your name on Twitter the fact that Zach Lowe and Kevin Pelton voted for Giannis 2020 Depoy and you were shipping justice then? Or has it always been ship the justice? No, it's um, I think it was different earlier, but it became ship the justice um, just because I had a colleague um, who used to – he – I played a little bit on the Australian poker circuit um, and his kind of catchphrase, you, do you know, you played a bit of poker, didn't you? Well, maybe a little bit, but Joe Hashem used to say, pass the sugar. Yeah, pass the sugar. Is he, he's from New Zealand or Australia? Um, no, he's Australian. He's he's uh, probably the most famous Australian poker player. But this this bloke, um, Edgy. Pass the sugar. He used to say, he, he used to say, um, he's the bellow. Uh, and, and I had a friend who used to play in these games with him. He's confirmed this. He used to bellow from the bottom of his stomach and ship the justice edgy's back. Um, and so, <laughs> I like that. And, and uh, yeah, we kind of used to mock him a little bit. And uh, he always used to come in with a, um, with a can of Coke Zero. Uh, and so, or, or sometimes even a bottle of Coke Zero. And so that's where the kind of the Coke can is, has come from. And um, yeah, that's, the genesis of uh, Ship the Justice. But um, the the Giannis Depoy, I suppose that was another that was another good raw. It was like, uh, and this I suppose, suppose leads in, a little bit into awards betting is like the throughout the year, um, everyone on TV will be talking about some certain player. But most of the time at the end of the year, the voters are going to vote who the best candidate is. Um, and like, if this is kind of born out of like American, um, Americans believing in conspiracies all the time. And like, so that year it was like Anthony Davis against Giannis. Like Anthony Davis had absolutely no case to win defensive player of the year. Not even like there was, there was not a single metric that he was ahead of Giannis, but everyone and, and everyone always talked about that. They were like, well, Davis is going to win because he's being campaigned for and like the media bias will give it to Davis. And like Giannis won like 85 to 15. It wasn't even close. And like, I suppose like another good example of this was um, going into the national championship last year. um, Seth Byrne said that he thought that two loss Alabama was going to make it into the playoff ahead of undefeated Cincinnati. Like two loss Alabama would have had to play Georgia again in a repeat of the and a repeat of the SEC title game. And there's just absolutely no chance that they were going to give it to two loss Alabama ahead of uh, like no loss Cincinnati. We never got to see whether this is going to play out, but there can be, yeah, even among sharp people, Seth is probably pretty sharp. I don't really know, but he says some sharp things. He says some dumb things, but among, even among these people, you have uh, just this belief in like conspiracy theories like just make absolutely no sense even based on the data um and and from what we know so 
yeah, I, I suppose like that's a good way to bid into awards is to like fade the, you know, fade the public narrative, which um, most of the time can be pretty stupid, but an awards can be good. So the, the awards mostly follow who ranks the best in whatever the advanced metrics you're referring to are? Yeah, not always, but um, typically the deserving winner wins every time. Like apart from Joe Ingles and sixth man of the year uh, last year, um, most of the times it just goes to the best candidate. Um, there, there really isn't that much of a narrative aspect. Like it, in what world could Nikola Jokic have won MVP and he's won by a, won in a landslide? In what world does he win MVP if there's just huge narrative impact? Um, all the voters, all the voters talk to each other and they all listen to Zach Lowe. Just whoever Zach Lowe votes for, you know, wins most of the time, especially if he like publicly espouses his, his belief on the, on the market. Well, not on the market, on the, on who should win the award. Then everyone doesn't look, want to look like an idiot for voting for, um, you know, they don't want to look stupid voting for Devin Booker. That, they're just going to vote for Nikola Jokic because he's a deserving, deserving winner. So then how does Joe Ingles lose? Didn't Zach Lowe vote for Joe Ingles? He did. And like we tried our, we tried our absolute best on that one. Um, and I suppose like it's, it's one where I suppose this is where the nuance comes in is like the best player, the best case is going to win on MVP, but on six man of the year, like no one really cares. Even if you put a really stupid vote for six man of the year, no one's going to clown you for it. And so that is one where kind of like traditional, voting can can hold a little bit uh and yeah although you know uh i probably don't want to give too much away about what we did there but um we were able to uh execute a, a pretty decent position uh on that one um yeah the like i think joe ingles got into minus Minus two eighty, I think it's some books, uh, which meant that it was you know you're able to uh, get out of that position when you thought it wasn't going to win. How do you square what you're saying right now that the most deserving guy based on the metrics usually wins with when I'm betting college basketball, I don't really pay attention and I might just be wrong and the community might be wrong. But isn't it very easy picking what teams should be what seeds and what teams should be in the tournament? And don't they often get that wrong? Couldn't the awards voting be kind of wrong in a pretty similar sense? I think so. Um, I think a lot of the time the seeding um, should be done on – it should be done on like the Parcells method. But you can – I suppose that's probably fair that um, – there is like some there is some like imputed bias uh, towards the blue blood teams and you know if you listen to Alan Boston uh, I think West Virginia is that who he says gets screwed every year or uh, Wake Forest or something I don't know um, the the mid majors kind of do get undervalued a little bit um, so I suppose college basketball is a little bit different I don't really know I don't really bid on the seeding of uh, college basketball. Well, isn't couldn't Joe Ingles kind of be like the mid-major of NBA six men? Yeah, I suppose that's that's probably fair. Where um, 
You know, it's not devote like there isn't that much attention devoted to it. As long as these teams get in, then like no one really cares if this 13 seed who should have been a nine seed is the 13. Um, yeah, it's like doesn't cause that much outrage. Like the, 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 Except on gambling um, Twitter, where it causes a lot of outrage. I mean, I don't really pay that much attention to it. I'm not sure if it's right or wrong, but it seems like there is a pretty real effect of you can kind of predict which teams will under and outperform their seeding when it's chosen by a committee of regular sports fans, which seems like how the awards are being chosen by a committee of regular sports fan. Or isn't there a chance? Maybe Zach Lowe is a pretty um, high integrity guy, but maybe there's a chance that he kind of goes off the wagon and starts just liking some guy and touting him. And then he wins the award. That, that definitely happens. And you kind of, you have to segment voters a little bit as well. Uh, so we've tried to do it in like red and blue States basically where, and this was, uh, this um, is from the, uh, the Trump Biden election where the, you know, uh, mail-in votes were very different to on-the-day votes. And it was that was kind of what fueled our belief in the uh, the Ingalls-Clarkson was we knew that the Ingalls, well, the blue or like the, the analytical types were going to vote Clarkson and the analytical types really like to be heard. These dweebs want to write up these uh, articles um, so that people can listen to their, so that they can feel important. You mean the and analytical so, types will vote Clarkson or Ingalls? Ingalls. They were always going to vote Ingalls, okay. and they were, and they're all they're always going to be the ones that are publicly known. And so, you know, these people are going to espouse their beliefs into the ether, sure. and and so it's going to come out early. And so we knew that Ingalls was going to have a lead no matter what, which puts you in a position to kind of trade out, uh, even if you get into that position. And like, all you need to do is just publicize. Okay, this you know these guys have a these this this person has a hundred, hundred vote to 70 vote lead. Um, most of the time when it's like all these votes are really correlated. If you have a hundred, hundred vote to 70 vote lead, and then you hit the, uh, you hit the books off of a, um, off of a negative account, obviously that's going to spook you, right? Like if a, if a book was getting hit off this negative account, it's really publicized that he's got a big lead. They probably just think it's over. Uh, and so you can kind of, you know, move the market around in that, in that way. And then you can, uh, Head ejecto cedo whenever you need to. Is there what was the last sentence you just said? <laughs> you can you can hit ejecto cedo like uh, I, and uh, this is a this is an area where having cash out is really valuable. Um, okay. No one is going to take. So say let's say you have a position to win a hundred grand on on uh, Joe Ingles and Jordan Clarkson flips to a dog. He's now plus one fifteen. No one's going to take 80, 80 grand on. Uh, on Jordan Clarkson, um, because it's a six-man market, it's tiny. They, but they, but they can't stop you from cashing out your Ingalls position. Like, there's no, there's no, um, you know, intercept. There's no like spinny wheel. There's no um, like uh, approval on um, Joe Ingalls to uh, to hit the cash out. You can just hit the cash out no matter what. And like the book never wants to get in the way of that. So you can eject your money. Even though there's no way that they would take a bet on the other side, you can eject your money with like completely frictionless. And um, unfortunately, uh, we kind of killed cash out on the awards markets. I think for that reason, there aren't too many books that offer it anymore. Okay, interesting. So Jordan Clarkson is now better than Joe Ingalls. 
Is there any signal in that award? Is it possible that people knew what they were talking about, or maybe not at the time he didn't deserve, but they were predicting that he would be better and maybe wrongly, but including that in the award, or there was something they saw that made them think he would be better because he is better, right? Jordan Clarkson's the better player today. Yeah, now I think um, that's probably pretty. Well, I mean, uh, Joe Ingles did his knee, did his ACL, I think. Um, so he's oh, okay. no good. But the, but the, th- I suppose the thing is, is that um, the, the reason for that is that um, Joe Ingles had an amazing year by like all of the plus minus statistics and all of the efficiency t- statistics, and those are far more variable year to year than the box score. Like someone who's a scorer is just gonna have pretty you know uh the, like someone's points per game is far more predictive of their points per game next year than your true shooting percentage is predictive of your true shooting percentage next year so um when you're deriving all your value from efficiency and then also your ability to move the ball and guard in these random ways and like play really good team defense um those are more variable and so um so that that's why it's worse but there's there's no way that they were using like a predictive measure. The only area where that comes into play is um is like defensive player of the year. Well, there are two areas. One is rookie of the year. There's uh, a real there's a bias to vote for who they think the best prospect is. Um, and then two is defensive player of the year, where um, voters will try to vote who they think is like the best overall defender and can play in the playoffs. Like, there's no way in hell that Rudy Gobert shouldn't have won Defensive Player of the Year this year. Um, I suppose the, the other option would have been Bam Adebayo. Um, Marcus Smart absolutely did not deserve to win. But, <laughs> and, and this kind of goes in, in the face of... Uh, you were long Marcus of, Smart, correct? Very, very long Marcus Smart, yes. <laughs> but, but, and this goes in the face of like me saying that the, the best player always wins. But you, you can, I suppose, like, you almost have to read what the criteria is going to be each year. And like Rudy won, Rudy's won three times now. Uh, and then him just getting clowned in the playoffs just means that like so many people were not going to vote for him. Um, and when so does the voting you, take so place? Then, uh, April. It like, uh, I think it starts April one through April 15. Um, and, and how so, does it work for those people? They send the NBA their ballot via email whenever they want or something like I, yeah, you seem some, to be kind of trying like to get that. some info or count the votes as it was happening, which seems like a no, good strategy I, always. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is like these these votes are so correlated with each other, especially especially by segment. So um, I mean, I try like you you went through my Twitter timeline and you probably saw me try to speak in different languages to all these international voters. Uh, I tried absolutely everything to try and get votes out of it. I <laughs> yeah, I how are um, there people that speak? I mean, what's the deal? There are people that are Italian who are and Japanese voting on the NPA award thing. That's, I guess, it's yeah, a global um, game, <laughs> international community. The the NBA tries to um, tries to uh, leverage their international media partners, I suppose, by giving them a vote here and there, uh, okay. and sort of make, making them feel valued. But like, I have a, um, I can't speak Italian at all. I don't. I, um, <laughs> You'll see in the tweet, I, I said, Arrivederci mio fratello, which means right. goodbye, my brother. Um, right. <laughs> uh, and so so I, I copped a subscription, a year-long subscription, which I paid 23 euros for, um, to Gazeta.it, um, 
And so I get sent um, emails in Italian trying to trying to get me to read these articles. Um, sure. And I have a subscription to all these like tiny little newspapers, the Dallas Morning News, the Miami Herald, Salt Lake Tribune, et cetera, because you had to click through the paywall to be able to get and see the vote. And like seeing one vote is worth a lot of money if you're able to get a fair chunk down uh, on these markets because each vote is so correlated to another to another vote, uh, especially, like I said, if you can segment it where, you know, you can kind of do like a little bit of next neighbor stuff where like Tim Bontemps is going to vote the same way that uh, Kevin Pelton is going to vote, but diametrically opposed to uh, Chris Haynes from Yahoo Sports or, you know, uh, Michael Wilbon or something like that. So what was that phrase? Next neighbors? <laughs> next, next neighbors analysis. Where, oh, okay. Like, gotcha. Next name. Okay. Plus. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. The accent. Uh, That's okay. No, no, not your fault. My fault. Indeed. And so, yeah, like you're applying basically what um, Nate Silver tries to do to the election. You're trying to do it a little like in, in a far worse and far less uh, statistically robust manner to these uh, to these awards markets. Okay. So we could consider you the Nate Silver of NBA awards betting, but maybe a little worse. I think maybe that's fair. <laughs> okay. Um, when So are you following the NBA all year long and it's like you're following the storylines just as you're living your life and then when March rolls around, it's like, okay, we got to start getting down on whoever is not getting talked about, but he's, is this like a every, it seems kind of like an every year thing for you, at least the last few. Is that right? Yeah, it's like a, it's a pretty good edge, but it happens in all the sports. Like, uh, you know, there are pretty decent limits on, on MLB awards and, and, uh, NFL awards too. And, uh, especially if you can bet into some of these legal books and especially if you can get them, get them in parlays. Uh, so yeah, there are opportunities everywhere, but you know, I'm like, I, uh, have a subscription to Dunked On, which uh, I don't really like, and but I listen to it every single day. I listen to Danny LaRue's whiny voice, uh, and I listen to Nate Duncan's overconfidence in himself. But I, I listen to it every day, and I, I don't know. I just try to like consume as much content and be as like a, as well informed about as much as possible, uh, so that when there's something that's really wrong, you can pounce on it, like. Yeah, there are just there's just so much that you can scroll just scroll down and see that something's completely wrong. Like if you read all the articles on ESPN from all the insiders, and um, you spot that you know some guy has has done like a a poll on who's going to win the Hart Trophy, and then like none of the market, none of the betting market has has incorporated. Like Connor McDavid uh, was the favorite for the Hart, and he had zero votes in this random straw poll out of like thirty people. Um, and he's like the favorite everywhere for the heart. And so you can bet you're basically just finding stuff that's just like so completely wrong, but no one's betting into. And so you can, uh, yeah, find some pretty good edges. Okay. What about, um, NFL, NHL, NBA? Those are the main ones and MLB. Damn. MLB, okay. Yeah. But then, they all have a couple. Know, it's like always, offensive and defensive, or most improved, or something. There's maybe like three per league or something. Yeah, exactly. And like, there's going to be something that's incorrect. Um, sure. But then also that, like, you know, the Heisman is Heisman should be pretty efficient, but it doesn't really seem to be that efficient. Like, 
I suppose you're, you're looking at past precedent and uh, trying to ascertain what it means for the future and, and what the differences are between this year and previous years. So who's, who's going to win the MVP next year in the NBA? Who's, who's like your I mean, ship the justice rankings? Or you, don't, you don't want to give out that alpha. Or I assume it doesn't matter this far in no, advance, right? No, it's fine. Like Giannis should be the favorite. And then uh, Luca, some, some order of Luca, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant. Um, there's probably some people that I'm, there's probably someone that I'm missing off the top of my head. What about LeBron? Uh, but like they, they should all be ahead of Jokic uh, and probably should be ahead of Embiid because of injury risk. Um, like Jokic is going to find it so hard to win next year. Um, he's going to have to have the very, like very, very deserving case. And, and why is that? Like I said, he won most, this year or yeah. Cause he's won, won two years in a, two years in a row and flamed out in the playoffs two, two years in a row, even though he played really well himself. Um, like people really like to use the playoffs as a referendum on what, on whether people got it right. And so um, you kind of have to take that a little bit into account. LeBron, is probably true price like fifty to one. I don't know, something Damn. in that range. Steph Curry, Steph Curry is probably twenty to one. Um, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Who is the potato punter? I don't know. I still don't know. I've been trying to figure this out for a long time. And the thing was, is that uh, Sprott's better talked about our Olympics betting a little bit, um, but I was sort of part of that. Um, betting group and we've been on this dude so we've been on the uh i think it was the danish uh track cycling team we we were track cycling they were what's that yeah yeah track cycle track cycling like riding um, a bike around an indoor track one of those things yeah exactly yeah exactly uh the, yeah. i think it was the men's team pursuit or something i don't know but we so we bet on this um and we bet it really hard like we thought it was a, a very good bet uh, we might have got it at minus 120 and made it uh, sort of minus 1200. That won <laughs> all of the lead in world, world, world championships. Uh, Damn, I got to get in these group chats. Should... This sounds like some good info going around. And yeah, Bookmaker were dealing 10K limits with rebets as well. So it was pretty, pretty good. Um, okay. But so we, so we bet it, I think we bet a fair chunk on that. And then, um, so they set a world record in the in the heat, but then I don't know. I was watching I was watching the uh, a later heat, and um, they talked about this dude Filippo Ganna, who was he won the individual time trial I think in the world championships on the road, and was like a and a legit road cyclist. And like road cycling, they're getting paid way more they typically don't do the Olympics. Like this guy was just doing it one last time. He was doing the Olympics. So he's in there. And then, so he takes a turn on the front and like absolutely a night, like catches up by like a second, which was just absolutely absurd. And so we started talking about, you know, Mr. Big Horsecock, uh, Filippo Ganna. Uh, and so we were like, well, if he's going to ride in the final, he's probably going to take more turns on the front we need to bid on uh, the Italians um, to, to sort of cover our, cover our bet here. We might've got them at like plus 800 or something. Uh, and they were trailing by like a second. Anyway, Filippo Gano comes back, wins the race. We have never, I've never spoken to Potato Pun, I've, unless he's part of the group chat. I've got no idea. Like we had never talked to anyone about um, Filippo Gano and the Italian men's uh, track cycling team. 
And it turns out he's on exactly the same bet. And then he's also on everything else that we're on. So I, I have no idea who he is, um, but he's pretty, he seems to be pretty sharp um, and gets it in pretty good. When you were betting on that stuff, um, how many hours, when did you start researching? I assume you weren't like in touch with the indoor track cycling crew beforehand. How many hours a day? Like what's your typical day? It's, it's July 1st. The Olympics are coming up in whatever, two weeks or three weeks or something. Are you like waking up at eight and doing six hours of indoor track cycling research that day? Or like, how did you uh, learn a, all that stuff? We had a rule like we, that you had to have at least 45 minutes, 45 minutes of research before you fired. Um, 45 minutes obviously doesn't sound like a lot, but there aren't, there aren't, weren't there many people putting in this, this research. Uh, we bid on, I think Sprott said, um, we bid on Quan Hong Chan uh, to win the 10 meter platform. And, and like I kind of talked about before, um, it's all about knowing what the market is not capturing. So with Quan, it was the reason why the market had a seven to one uh, or six to one maybe um, when she should have been odds on was that she had never competed in an international competition before. She won the Chinese nationals. She won two out of three competitions to, to be the number one seed for China, but she'd never competed internationally. And the reason why she'd never competed internationally was because she'd only just turned 14. You needed to be turned, you needed to be 14 to, to be an international diver. And I, I didn't, I didn't know this before we started researching. We see Chinese diver, plus like plus 600. Okay. What's going on here? And so we just kind of dive into some research. We like, <laughs> we watched this, uh, we watched this, the Chinese diving nationals and we train like Google translate all the pages. And it says that Quan is going to her first international competition and that she had dominated the Chinese nationals. Okay. That's good enough for me. Like this thing is just like the Chinese win 10 meter platform every single time. Therefore, it's a two horse race between her and the Chinese. She beat the other Chinese at the, um, at the other nationals. Like, you know, she might be a dog, but she's not going to be more than like plus 120. We need to get as much money down as we can here. And we just bet it as much as we can. So like, I don't think you need like this insane level of conviction if you know what the market is not capturing and you know about that thing. And that morning that you did the Google Translate for 45 minutes, you had scrolled down on Bookmaker and saw that today there's diving. And it was like, okay, today it's time to figure out who's going to win the diving. No, it wasn't. It wasn't like today. We bet, we bet that a fair time in advance. We kind of divided. We, we just went through the whole menu uh, and okay. tried to divide it up a little bit, a little bit into expertise. Like I tried to handle all the swimming um, and tried to handle a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, and then we had, you know, one person was handling the judo uh, and the weightlifting sure. and the boxing. And so, yeah, divided it up a little bit. Um, but like some of the bigger, even some of the bigger ones, like swimming should be pretty, like swimming should be some of the most efficient. It's, there are no interaction effects between any of the players. Like you're swimming and you just swim a time you just swim as fast as you can. You touch the wall like, and you, and it's done by time. So there's no judging element. So it really should be like as easy as possible to like model out. Um, now, obviously you have to have some domain knowledge because otherwise if you just treated all the races as equal, 
you would treat somebody who's swimming in a random mid-season meet the same as like the world championship final and you wouldn't understand why one person's going faster at one meet and not going so fast at another meet but once you like incorporate all that you can get a distribution and then you just know where people are going to finish with pretty with a fair chunk of certainty the only extra thing you need to figure out is whether like kind of their form for the meet and you figure that after like one race and so you can kind of plug that in and then and then you're golden you've got a really good set of ratings that should get you pretty close to what the time time should be um and even those were horrendously inefficient just some of the yeah some of the prices were just very 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 bad um and yeah that that was the olympics were was a fun it was a fun two weeks it was an exhausting two weeks but it was uh yeah very fun to try to um i think i think like that's some of the most fun stuff to do is like you're drawing inferences based off of limited information but you know that you're getting it in so good and you're just betting as much as you can do you think that the 2024 summer olympics you will be betting a lot of your bankroll on or is it over uh, I think it's probably we're not going to get 10k limits. I don't think from book from bookmaker. Uh, I have that on reasonable authority, uh, and I yeah don't. I just doubt that they're going to open it up to that extent. Um, you know who knows? Maybe the the other thing I suppose is like the domestic sports books probably going to have sorted themselves out by that point. So you're not going to get the you know Caesars just ticking bets and. You know, fresh DraftKings accounts getting on to win a, a lot, very large sum of money. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's going to be a lot harder, but there will still be plenty of edges to be had. And, um, yeah, it'll be fun trying to figure it all out again. Can you explain reverse CLV? Uh, I suppose in this situation, like... If you can get something to close bad, then it's probably good for you if you know that you're getting it in good. Uh, like an example here uh, might be, you know, you just mash your market, but then it just, I don't know, steams, steams back at you and closes the wrong side of your bet. If you can get that and you, like that's what everyone should want. They should want the market to disagree with them, especially if they're in a, um, if they're in, a, a market or a, or a sport where they have just way better fares than everybody else, then then you want to stay undetected for as long as possible. And, and the best way to do that is to avoid giving CLV. Yeah, that makes sense. I agree. Um, especially because do you, do you when you're when you're placing bets, do you want you want the market to stay? I mean, it depends what I'm betting on. I mean, most of the stuff I'm betting on, I don't have better fares than the market and I'm hoping I do. And if it steams, it's like, okay, I guess it was a good bet. Like, especially when I was betting NBA this year, I mean, I, I, it's hard to overstate. I really have no idea what I'm doing um, at all, but I'm betting like on it every day. So I think it was nice when things steamed, right. but when I was betting, I tweeted a couple of years ago when I'm betting college basketball, I hope it steams against me. And I don't want, I try to move nothing if I can and never bet anything that moves because I know my numbers are good um, and I don't want anything to ever move. Because like you were yeah. saying, there's a way to learn how to win at sports betting and there's a way how to learn anything. And it's copy other people and copy other things. And 
the way that sports betting has been won in the past is betting shit. It steams, you know, WNBA, Mexican baseball, college basketball totals, overnight college football. There's things that have everyone has seen in accounts just win and win and win. And even if you don't know exactly what you're doing, you can learn like, okay, I've seen people win like this. I can win like this. And that's how I've done probably like 90% of my sports betting is just seeing someone else win and learning how to do it. Like no creativity on my part, no anything on my part, just copying someone else. Um, and if you actually want to win, you can't do that. <laughs> you have to do stuff that no one's done before because the bookies know. I think it's different if you have the legal books or the New Zealand books or whatever. Um, but if you're betting on some random account where the bookie can just not pay you, you have to do something different because they know what to look for. And it's so easy to know what to look for um, that you kind of have to differentiate in some way. And the steam is the number one thing. I mean, and now it's so widespread that half the accounts I get, if not more than half, it's like, this can't close well. Like you can bet as much as you want, but if it closes well, it's done. So you have to, which is obviously hard. It's it's easier to bet stuff that closes good and wins than bet stuff that doesn't close good and win. But you just can't really make any money anymore, or I can't, betting stuff that steams and then winning and collecting. And I've been stiffed so many times. It's just hard to, it's hard to bet the steam, win, and collect. And it used to probably be hard also, but not that hard. Now it's just you can't do it anymore. You have to bet stuff that doesn't steam, bet it at the end, um, or have some good account. It's just a little bit harder. Yeah, that's 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 right. And like that's kind of what I mean by um, that the glo- the current like gambling Twitter sphere where or the cir- the gamble- gambling Twitter circle jerk I think is subtle put it today where the these people are talking about the optimal way to maximize free bets like you really don't think that the traders for these books follow you <laughs> and like no exactly well you got to unfollow them. those guys right i mean what are you doing still following those guys we all know they're no, idiots abs- <laughs> abs- absolutely but it's just like you're just going to kill you're going to kill the promos like shut the fuck up and just and just bet like what are you doing and when when people are talking and they don't they they still don't even get it as well they don't even really know how to maximize these things but the thing is is it sticks out like a sore thumb that these these books these soft books that you are lamenting for for limiting you you're betting the optimal way to maximize a free bet they're already on high alert about their free bets they know that they're giving you free money and it's like you're you're taking the free money and spitting in their face like it's (laughs) If you don't want to get limited by books, figure out how to not get limited by books. Like stop complaining about all these all these soft books limiting you. Because the thing is, is that if you didn't if you couldn't bet at these soft books, then you wouldn't make like so there are two there are two worlds. One world where only sharp books exist, where like all the soft books go and die. Okay, you can't make any money because you can't beat sharp books. Now there are soft books and sharp books. You beat the soft book until you get kicked out, and then you don't make any money yet after that. You still you still made some more money because of the sharp the soft book existing. Like it's a it's just that the candy got taken away from you uh, because you didn't know how to like milk the candy long enough. And I suppose this this is like another point where like all these idiots on Twitter are compl- like complaining or really want Circa to come to their state. 
all right, circuit's going to come to your state and you're not going to win because you don't know how to beat these big markets. All you've been learning how to do is beat promos and minimize your synthetic hold, which doesn't help you win. Like the only, the only way you can win is make better fares. It's the only way. Yeah. I think it's tough when you, on gambling Twitter specifically, when you get in-group approval for certain things, like I know when I tweet something that it's going to, I can set a market on how many likes or comments it's going to get. And it can be difficult or it can be more difficult to tweet something that won't get in-group approval versus what will. And it's pretty easy to get engagement on the, you don't even have to have malicious intent. You can just, if you don't know exactly what you want and aren't picking exactly what you want, um, you can have like kind of a social pressure to tweet out the, sort of stuff you're talking about you know it's like it's known that that if you if you get banned if you bet steam not not if you bet steam i don't mean like you're following something i mean like if you bet storm under 168 and it closes 161 and you post a ticket or you bet Tulane minus three and a half and it closes 12 like there's sorts of things that you can do that'll get you some engagement and will be a real signal of what you're doing but they're also probably not the best way to maximize your edge. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, and I don't know, people just tweet these absolutely ridiculous things. Like, um, I try to retweet anything that I find really stupid. Uh, and that, <laughs> Matt Landers, dude, turbo moron. He put out a, yeah, it makes you a turbo moron. Let me, let me find this tweet. It's so bad. Is there a regular level of like, moron or turbo moron is just super moron? Typically, I will call someone just like a typical more. Like I'll just call them a moron if they if they are a moron. He tweeted, "What's one thing you wish when you you knew when you started betting?" And then he made a thread. For me, it's how to convert US odds to break even percentages. And he 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 put minus one ten equals one ten divided by two ten equals fifty two point four percent. Like, what fucking idiot are you? If you're betting into this, if you're betting into this shit and you don't know how to convert. Odds to probabilities. Like, thank you, genius. But what are you doing? Got 22 retweets and 231 likes for being this much of a fucking idiot. Well, that's what I mean. What if are you, you tweet, doing? I mean, that's that's kind of what gets you likes and the people liking and retweeting your stuff. You know, if you tweet something good, it's not like anyone's going to know. You know, like Brett Favre has a thousand followers or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. I I kind of like the just. I don't know. You, I like to tweet out like a morsel of information here and there, but it has you have to read my absolutely ridiculous half-broken English to be able to figure out what it is. I'm learning. I'm learning. I, I Especially when I release these podcasts, I like my notifications will blow up. And the way I use Twitter, um, I really like am really deep in the weeds and see everything. So if I follow someone, it's kind of like I'm going to see a lot of stuff they're associated with. So I'll give someone a follow, but usually bail three days later um so your stuff was specifically half english because i never actually saw the tweets or there's a lot of people who do also tweet half english and are idiots you know um it's rare that you've i don't know there's there's a lot of people that are listening or are on gambling twitter that don't really have a chance of winning you know like it's it's kind of like your goodwill hunting thing. Like, 
there are a lot of people that really just don't have a chance. Um, that's similar. <laughs> the Goodwill Hunting, like I uh, suppose I'm famous, like famously through it between my friends. Like I, I don't really ever watch movies. So that's like the one movie reference I can ever give out is uh, yeah, the, the scene where, where Will tells um, the professor just how easy it is for him. And that honestly, that's, that's what it is when I see these dudes tweet out, tweet out uh, break-even percentages for for odds, and wish wish that they knew that when they started gambling. Yeah, that's the sort of thing I I'll say like it's in the computer. Like a lot of the stuff, it's like oh I have this edge, and it's like okay, well my computer knows that. So it's like you're saying earlier, the things that you're going to have an edge on are probably the things the computer doesn't know, like. If my computer knows it, especially in college basketball or golf or NBA, like it's probably not an edge, you know, like the computer knows it's in the number. Yeah, exactly. Um, One good one, one good example of like, oh, what doesn't the market know is uh, in the election. um, I think the market didn't really understand just how much dumb Trump money there was. Like people all knew just how much dumb McGregor money there was. But people couldn't really explain why the odds were what they were in the Trump-Biden election. I I had it like Trump, I mean, sorry, I had it Biden, Biden minus uh, 600. So I didn't really see why it was so wrong. Like, well, sorry, I didn't really see why people couldn't figure out why it was so wrong. But the best the best um, example here was Australian. So Betfair was super deep. And this is another dumb thing that Americans were doing. They're all quoting predict it, or they were quoting Chris who were taking like 5k at the time or, uh, and then predict it. I think the limit was like 800. And then like you could, you could literally click and get yourself a million bucks on Betfair right. if you wanted to. And like, and then get a million more 1% worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, so Betfair was like, a dollar sixty Biden or one point six, so like what's that? Minus one sixty-five. Uh, Why don't you reference the Landis tweet? Maybe figure it out. <laughs> exactly. Uh, like uh, one point six in decimal odds on uh, on Biden. So yeah, minus one seventy-five ish. And then um, like Ladbrokes in Australia was minus one fifty-five Biden, and you can literally just like click Ladbrokes and then arbit straight out and be fair. And then click Ladbrokes again and arbit straight out and be fair. Like, there's just absolutely no reason why the um, why the, you should ever see this discrepancy. The, well, the only reason is that like uh, these books in Australia are just taking so much dumb Trump money over and over and over again. And like, there's no reason why they would ever like they're not doing this because they know something. They would res- they they all respect the market. They all believe that bet betfair is the the right number. But they, no matter how high they go, all the ARB money that they're taking on Biden is getting out outwashed by uh, by all this Trump money. And so this was similar to Mayweather McGregor, where like, yeah, there was heaps of, heaps of smart people who knew that Mayweather Mayweather was gonna was a bet, but to maximize their like, you know, return on investment, they wanted to just turn that over in one day or two days. Um, same thing with the with Biden. So Biden's just going up and up and up. And the other thing is that, so these books, if they are taking um, all of this 
uh, money on Trump, they're trying to chuck it back into Betfair. Um, and by doing so, so that, so, um, they take the bid on, they take the bid on Trump and then they're just throwing it back into Betfair on, on, uh, like, uh, to back Trump. So they're taking the bid at like, I don't know, plus one fifty five, And then they're backing Trump on Betfair at plus one ninety five, basically laying off the arbing themselves. And then that's just pushing the price of Biden even higher. And then, so it just like pushed and then, so the higher that Biden has to go, then the higher that Ladbrokes and, and Sportsbet have to go to uh, continue to a- attract action, action on Trump. And so like, it was just this one big feedback loop that led to a price being like completely overinflated. And so knowing that just allowed me to actually believe Nate Silver's numbers. Because otherwise you would think, you know, there's a million dollars in Betfair. How can this price be wrong? But if you know like kind of how the market dynamic is working, uh, and that the sharps were kind of waiting a little bit, at least for a while. And there was so much dumb money in the system. Now you can actually start to believe that you have an edge. I think a point in that favor too is the after the election had happened, you know, in the month afterwards, the prices on Biden and Trump. Um, definitely, you know, there was a lot of money for Trump even when the, it was over and he had lost. Um, yeah, you still hard hard to know that hard to know that live, but. That's definitely a good um, point for you in your favor. I mean, mine, I, was, I next year I'm going to, or in two years, I'm going to spend a lot more time on it and actually try and get a good number. I feel pretty confident that it was not minus 600 and that it was pretty close to fair, maybe Biden minus 180 or minus 200 or something. Um, but it's hard to know. It's It's very complicated and you can go so, so deep in the lab on it that, I would be curious to get David Shore's model, <laughs> be in his office for a day, see what that, see what they're working with. Um, you can really, there's a lot of creative stuff you can do, and it's good for the market because it's so liquid. But anyone that actually has a good number has more of it's the only market where someone with a good number has more of an incentive to advise the candidate or advise the party or be involved with the actual strategy of the campaign actually trying to win than betting into Betfair. Of course, some of it's going to leak into Betfair and some of it's going to leak into the market. Maybe all of it will, but there's never a better spot for there to be so much money in a market, everyone to think they might know, it to, it to potentially get out of line, and the people that know what fair is to not be betting into it. Um, so it seems like an absolute gold mine. Um, and even just bookmakers liquid four months before the election, they had two-way markets on every state that were, you know, tighter than their golf lines. Um, you could throw up some pretty damn good volume on, if you just have accounts everywhere and are betting each state and you don't even have to know anything to probably put some good bets in. I mean, I didn't really know too much. and was getting some decent bets in. So if you actually had good fares and actually knew what you were doing, um, that's what I plan to do in 2024. Yeah, I don't know if we'll get the same like like euphoria that we got in 2020. Um, you look at the way that the the market tracked the polls in 2016 and prior to that, um, we just haven't seen anything di- like so wide between the polls and the market uh, as what we did in 2020. We've never seen it uh, in any real jurisdiction. Uh, and so, well, 2016 and I, 2012 are pretty. I mean, 
Bookmaker, Bet Online, Pinnacle, they have two-way markets on all the states four months in advance. And there's a lot of Sorry, volume yeah. and you can get decent money down. Maybe 2020 was specifically advantageous, but I think every year you're going to have a decent shot at, because even if the, even if there's a 40 to one favorite, there's going to be a few states that are close to 50, 50, or, you know, there's fucking 50 states. There's probably like eight really juicy bets you can make at minimum every year. Yeah. I don't doubt, doubt just how deep it's going to be, but more just the, like, the amount of dumb money in the market was, uh, was I think, crazy and different to how it was previously. Just And the, the biggest evidence for that was just how divergent the market was from the polls and the way that it tracked uh, versus how it's been. Like, basically, the market just was Nate Silver's model in 2016. Um, well, I mean, not quite, but the, the aggregate of the polls did a pretty decent job of of tracking the market and the market tracked the polls. Whereas 2020 was just so, so different. So I don't know, hopefully we see something um, just as divergent and just to, just as much uh, crazy money. So hopefully uh, Trump runs again in 2024, but uh, well, hopefully not from a political perspective, but uh, from a uh, gambling perspective for sure. I think it seems like uh, probably around 75% chance that he does right now. 80% yeah, maybe? I haven't looked at, I, I think haven't it's pretty likely. The, uh, the Betfair market on whether he's going to be the Republican candidate. One of my hot takes that's been um, other people have hated on a little bit. I think that Dwayne The Rock Johnson, if he ran for president, would win president and might run for president. And I've been thinking about how to bet on it, but it's obviously we're years away. It's difficult too. And it's mostly just kind of half-baked, half-baked nonsense. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Sort of outsider yeah. candidates you might might think could uh, could make a run that we could I mean, get some remember, that we could roar to twenty one or something or fifty to one. I remember being um, kind of stunned that Arnold Schwarzenegger was made governor of California when I was little. So uh, I don't know. I don't really ever doubt anything in America anymore. All right. Um, let's see. What else do I have on this um, menu? We're two hours ten minutes in. What else do you want to uh, do? You want to lay set the truth on? Setting the truth, I'm not so sure about. Uh, but I'm just taking a quick look back through the rundown, just scrolling up here. Um. Oh, do you know who uh, Arturo Galetti is? Uh, American Numbers. I've done some tweets about him, I think. Is that oh, Data Strictly? Da- data Strictly, yeah. Yeah, I've um, heard. Um, I'm in some... I mean, I only have known him from other people. It seems like he's kind of off market with his numbers, right? He he had um, sons in four, 0%, sons in five, 80% or something like that. Yeah. It's um seemed off. Yeah, some real <laughs> some really good stuff. Like I don't know. I don't I, I think people people love to get a rise out of these things and like I'd he's one that's like not trolling, whereas like I think Zilbert is absolutely brilliant. Like I think he's so funny. He puts up a he puts up a tweet and like 
he'll t- talk about his win totals from like the previous year and then like say that they were a Guinness Guinness World Record going ten out of thirteen on uh on on totals <laughs> unders or something. Um like those are, people those are over unders to you, not totals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh and and like and so he people get so annoyed and that I suppose this this uh goes back to you talking about how people love to tweet for um for plaudits and stuff. But like he will tweet some stuff and he, he will be sitting guaranteed that you can sit there. He's sitting there like cackling to himself. And then these idiots are just like, Oh yeah, fuck you Zilbert. Like you don't know what you're talking about. Um, like over and over and over again. And it just, you know, it's only going to hype up his profile. What know. about the wolf? I, think uh, I, think I mean, I, I hear you. I think he's fantastic. I don't particularly know if Matt Zilbert is in on it. I think he might actually, he's like half in on it. Um, where he, he tags, does think he's he winning Guinness. and he does think the other people don't post, which they don't. Um, he's tagging Guinness, which is kind of a joke, but he is an idiot. Like he, he is writing for, you know, abc.com or whatever website is paying him a thousand dollars a year to write their, you know, articles instead of like a spam bot. I don't, I don't know how in he is on it. And like the quant wolf line, that website actually exists. And like, he, he literally makes, he spends time in his day making TikTok videos about the resistance um, and support at various numbers in the market. I, I, I don't think these guys are fully in on it. It might just, it might uh, be a goodwill hunting moment. You know, like I, a lot of the world is not quite as gifted as you <laughs> um, in some ways, intellectually speaking. I think Quant Wolfline like certainly isn't in on it. He, uh, he's certifiably insane. He um, does. Okay. Well, I, I don't think he's insane because most of the things he tweets are true. And for the most part, it's, it's not like it's wrong, really. I mean, obviously, it's it's a little bit out there. It's a little bit unusual, but it's usually kind of in the ballpark of being right. Like he did, he had a tweet that was sent to me recently, where Memphis uh, was up eight, like one minute into the NBA game against Golden State, and ESPN had them at like eighty percent win probability, something around there. And he said, "This is wrong," and he, you know, he hashtag skew or whatever options terms he was hashtagging um but he was wrong i mean it was like probably around 50 not 80 and espn was wrong so i think he's usually kind of in the ballpark zilbert's not really in the ballpark but that's because he's trying to beat mlb totals on the day of the game which is just hard to do you know yeah i think um i think quant will fly in like He's almost like I tried to listen to a podcast of of Quant Wolfline on the end. Uh, so there's this guy like Cash with the Flash or something, and he's had like two podcast <laughs> guests. One was uh, one was GRP wins, uh, George Panagakis, who's like okay, he's I've the seen... dude who put the he put the plastic bag over his head um, <laughs> instead of a instead of a mask because he thought it was like cheaper and more efficient. He's the guy who tried to sneak into Bit Bash and got into a fight with Fats. Um, and then the and then were Paul you Wolfram at Bet Bash? No, I was in Las Vegas for Bet Bash, but I was not at Bet Bash. Uh, okay, so you Rufus were Dussault. 
and was uh was falling asleep in the crowd i'd been awake for a long long time but um okay anyway the um the other one he had was quant wolfline and i thought oh this is going to be com- comedic gold i was really excited to listen to it but he's like too coherent to be that funny like he kind of yeah it's funnier he's obviously tweet. speak he's speaking total bullshit like total nonsense it doesn't make like but there there's enough eloquent words in there that it's not really that funny to listen to so yeah i think it's it's just far more far far funnier in a tweet his most recent tweet is Quote, am I a bad person for selling a hashtag price action resistance level on the bearish side of an ascending trend line? Or isn't that just quantified behavioral economics that only the wolf line delivers? Hashtag suns, hashtag NBA playoffs, hashtag sports betting, hashtag technical analysis. It's like he he and Boston are, they're both so easy to troll because they really do tweet the same thing every time. Like I will tweet trolls of each of them and it's indistinguishable from the original, you know, like I, it's just, it's too easy almost. I, was I don't know what this guy's that, deal yeah. is. I, I wonder if he's ever bet on sports or ever options traded. Cause he, for the most part is kind of on the mark, but he's obviously a total grifter who I, I assume zero people subscribe to sportscardcounting.com which is his website <laughs> yeah i think uh i think he's got like a few accounts of himself that he replies to he has a his cover photo is a picture of what looks to be a muscular man standing on like a cliff with no shirt um in you know the american west it looks like i don't think either of these people there's two men in the photo i don't think either of them are him i assume his profile picture is him though He's definitely one of the biggest mysteries in gambling Twitter. Zilbert is a mystery as well because there is some chance that like a professional is behind it and he's only doing it to troll. He he's so hard in that direction that that I can't rule that out. I like the um Tony Rambo the bookie account. Have you seen that? That um <laughs> replies to him all the time and says that he's say he says that uh People are not allowed to bet the Zilbo primer. Otherwise, he's going to cut them off. And then he always signs it off, Tony Rambo, the bookie. Thank you, Tony Rambo, the bookie. Uh, <laughs> I think that that's been one of my one of my favorite follows of late. Um, and he will always reply to Zilbo tweets saying, I told you not to bet the primer. Do not bet the primer, Tony, Tony Rambo, the bookie. What is um, the primer? It's the, the Zil, what the Zilbo write-up. You're not allowed to bet the Zilbo write-up with Tony Rambo. Otherwise, he'll not pay you. Oh, okay. So he's going to kick off any clients he sees with their sheets looking like Zilbert's plays. Yeah, exactly. So that's probably also Zilbert. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm not sure. Um, but it's but the trolling back to Zilbert has become... <laughs> his Twitter? Look at this tweet. Um, this is his third tweet. He's replying to someone. This is excellent content. My name is Tony Rambo, the bookie. How would you suggest I adjust my betting lines off of this information? Thank you. <laughs> oh, he replied to a guy I know called Cust Service. Tony Rambo, the bookie yeah. here. No, we do not do that. However, all my players have been warned that they are not allowed to fade the Matt Zilbert primer. Thank you. This is Tony Rambo, the bookie. <laughs> this guy's good. Uh, yeah. You, yeah, yes, great, hello, Silbert. This is Tony Rambo, the bookie. I have made it illegal for players to use the primer. They were fading and winning. It can't happen, Zilbert. Thank you, Tony Rambo, the bookie. 
<laughs> he got blocked by Zilbert. Yeah. Hello, this is Tony Rambo, the bookie. <laughs> Zilbert, why is this account with block? Thank you. This is Tony Rambo, the bookie. Okay, so that's kind of his. Uh, <laughs> that's what he does. I never yeah, heard of this guy. Uh, he's, it's no, he's very good. He's like a he's a very underrated follow, I think. Um, so hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, he gets a few more after after this one. This is like I feel like you and Sprouts are total. I mean, Seville is kind of the word that's, that's used for. I came to Twitter after Seville, but the word for people that are trying to actually win on sports and are actually on Twitter. You guys are t- so like Seville 2.0 or 3.0 or the current iteration where there is a lot of good stuff out there. And it's the same way where a lot of the people posting good stuff are, it's, it's a little bit tricky to figure out if they're good or they're bad. And it might take you a little bit of time. And there's a lot of people that are bad, but some of the people misspelling words and replying to randos are actually good. You know, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a new, the new, one the new modern Seville. Diggs, Diggs was probably the first one that I used to uh, that I used to read. Um, what year was this? He's kind of. I've never really followed. I followed Diggs after I'd already started betting like professionally. I never followed him back think, in the day or didn't see any of those like accounts. Two thousand seventeen, maybe. Okay. Um, something like that. Two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen. Back when I was seeing the baseball in the accounts. Have you ever seen Mexican yeah. baseball in any accounts before? That was kind of my genesis to sports betting. No, I have never been on Mexican baseball, unfortunately. But it seems like there would be a good edge. I uh, I did go to a, I went to um, Nicaragua over New Year's, and I went to a Mex, I mean a, a Nicaraguan baseball game. Had to pay uh, forty American US cents to get in there to see <laughs> Rivas play somebody else. It was uh, yeah, high level stuff. There was one was originator like, that was destroying the market and the plays were very good and you could bet them in PPHs um, for like, I think maybe 18 months. And then afterwards there were a couple of wannabe originators that were faking the plays, but they still steamed because people knew just like if you released Quintana Rue minus 140, it was going to go to minus 180. It didn't really matter if you knew what you were doing, but people were just, they knew it was out there somewhere. There probably was someone who was sending out the wrong side and killing it, um, but there were a couple of years there. Now, now you can't bet it anymore, but you could. Yeah, the um, I suppose like if you can get into any of that sort of stuff that is available in enough books, um, like I say, if you make insanely good fears, it doesn't really matter what you're betting on. You'll find a way to be able to get down. I think. Yeah. I agree. Making the fairs is kind of tricky, though. A lot of stuff to consider. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose, like, it's another another good one is if if you don't have a ton of data, baseball is probably not the one. But if you don't have a ton of data, and as long as you can find a way to put it into a framework that can make some sense and, like, is not absolutely crazy... Like if, as long as you don't think that a player is like a plus 15 or something uh, in football, uh, obviously no one's ever been a plus 15 in football. Probably even, you know, the, the biggest drop off from um, Cam Newton to a backup quarterback or even, I don't know, someone at a really bad mid-major school that's amazing. Case Keenum at Houston or something when he was there. 
the the drop off is not going to be that big as long as you can like put it into a framework that makes some sense then i think in these lower information leagues some like a, a decent qualitative adjust, uh, adjustment and assessment can make you some money baseball probably not the thing that i'd advise i was i tried baseball back when i first started betting professionally and was running good and didn't realize I was running good. I tried to bet on baseball um, and I found it very, very difficult. And then this year I read that guy, Harib, Harib something, I forget what his website's called, but Sprager retweets it sometimes or um, replies to it. And he was examining the RPM and velocity of (laughs) like four seam fastballs from pitchers this opening month versus last opening month and the ball was spinning like three revolutions um per minute more on like a baseline of a couple thousand or something and he was trying to determine if the ball kind of how the ball was working and it was just so complicated so in depth that i was like how am i supposed to beat this yeah i i have no idea what he's talking about um seems like baseball is not for me. People that follow baseball are so into it and so deep in the, in the weeds. There's a lot of kind of knowledge you got to pick up on if you're coming from outside the sport, which I'm always coming from outside. That just seems too hard, especially with all the rules changes. That's kind of my one sport I feel like I'd never beat. Although I heard that about the NBA and I had some success this year doing it. So you can't you can't pay too much attention to what other people are saying unless they're betting millions, winning millions. Best not to listen too much to them. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably true. What uh, what do you think is like the best background you can come at or come from to to win at sports? Like, what's the if you were if you were plucking some kid out uh, and you had to scout somebody who how, where would you go to find that person? I think it's mostly, I think it's mostly if you're just willing to spend all day doing it, like you obviously have to have a brain or you at least have to have some, have some of a brain, but if you're like just grinding all day, every day, you're going to be up to pre end boss level and maybe even end boss level. I think there's just so many good bets to be made. If you're just clued in and you live, eat, sleep and breathe sports betting. Um, which is where I kind of used to be. I used to spend a lot of time on it and now I just don't anymore, um, which is a huge kind of sacrifice to the bottom line I make, but I just, I don't want to pay attention to it. Um, So I think if you're willing to have it be your life, then you can crush it still, you know, like everything is beatable for sure. Yeah, I don't think I there's any, true. I don't think there's any like skills you need to have. It's like, are you willing to be excited waking up? I mean, I'm in, I'm in like crazy time zones right now. So I'm excited waking up because I have like 44% of my bankroll pending and like the European golf settled and I like get to go scroll through the leaderboard and see how broke I am. So I wake up excited, but if you actually wake up excited and work all day and then go to sleep, like fuck i didn't do these things today or like tomorrow i have to do this you're gonna win you know like you're just gonna win but you have to spend all day doing it and i don't want to spend all day doing it but if you do you'll crush it 
if you don't, you still might win, but you're giving up a lot of edge and being able to, like you're saying, how was no one paying attention to that Embiid game or did they all turn it off? It's like, I never turned it on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I think honestly, that's probably the case for most of it. Like you would think that like there has to be somebody who knows, but I don't know, maybe it, it, it almost, you might be the person like though. It might be like time for you to be the guy, you know, like I, a lot of things are, you can envision someone out there doing it and they might be out there doing it, but you also might just be able to be the first. And I think people really overestimate the bar that's out there. It's a really low bar in every field. I don't think it's, I think that if you have a brain and you like doing it and you work each day, it, you can be world-class at pretty much anything. Unless you're like a super yeah. genius or we're talking about something crazy, um, but that's almost nothing. That's kind of like Sprouts was giving me some shit, but like that Sam Bankman Freed guy, I don't think he's world class or anything. He's just a guy that gave it his all and he's like the richest guy in the world now. You know, like the bar out there is he just cleared it um, and he gave it, he sacrificed, obviously. It was, he lived it for years, but he's just a guy with some, I mean, obviously he's smart, but anyone who's going to beat sports is going to have to be smart too. If you, if you live it, sleep it, eat it, breathe it, you can be the best in the world. Like, I don't think it's that hard. So Maybe I'm wrong. Very motivational. But... <laughs> very motivational <laughs> no, <I mean>, speech. <laughs> it's out there. It's definitely can be done by people. The people winning and crushing at the most and at the highest level, it's usually not. It's people just doing it, you know? They're just doing the stuff that everyone knows how to do and maybe doing it is a hassle and maybe you don't want to do it, but it probably could be done if you wanted to do it. Yeah, I was I was excited to continue to like wake up and check my sporting results until I woke up and checked that Cam Norrie had won. It was uh, <laughs> tough time in my life. Well, I checked and Richie Ramsey lost last week, which was very painful for the specialist. Luckily, I was asleep. Uh, this European tour golf is like, I mean, golf's basically the craziest thing you could ever bet on because there's just a lot of variance and it takes four days and it's hard to even be more than a 90% favorite on any matchup until like the fourth day. So stuff still swings on the final day. And then when you get into betting outrights, like you talk about having a great week, some guy might be like 70% on the last hole. So the European tour takes it to a new level though. I mean, these guys are, it's almost like they're trying to lose um, and, and they succeed in losing. So maybe they are, but <laughs> it's really amazing. Um, how bad some of these people are at closing and how pressure is very real in sports. And there are players that do well under it and players that do poorly under it. And it, yeah, you don't, they probably don't deviate too far from the baseline, but the, like the levels of sports betting, it always comes back to these maxims that are like, that's kind of what I thought at the beginning. And I, I was told that was wrong, but like players performing well and poorly under pressure is a real thing that exists and quantifying it is necessary to make better numbers. And maybe you can make good numbers without it, but you can make better numbers with it. So you'll have like a way different bottle factor or like a, you know, um, choke factor in the European tour than you will in the, in the U S tour. I assume well, I don't like, know. I don't, like, I don't really have good numbers on any of this stuff, but it's like, you know, who's going to lose, <laughs> you know, like, you know, you can kind of shade your numbers one way or the other. And it's, 
it's almost impossible to quantify. If I could quantify it well, you'd just be printing, obviously. Well, maybe not with golf because the VIG is outrageous, but it's almost like you know who's going to lose. And some of the time it's like, oh, Richie Ramsey hit the most important shot of his life in the water and just squash 75% win probability for fun in the fairway. Like, yeah, that's not that surprising. And the, the guy that didn't is a former Ryder Cupper. And, you know, it's it's kind of semi-predictable where I don't really know how to include it that well, but I do fade. Or sometimes if the numbers like in a matchup is minus one, seven, my fair is minus 117. And I can bet minus 115 on a guy who should be good in the fourth round. It's like, I almost feel better than about that than the plus 120 on a guy that's pick that you don't want to bet. You know, there's sometimes it's like the computer likes this play. I hate it. I don't know how to make the computer like it, but all those things exist and I'm going to stay away from it. Or maybe I half bet it or. It's definitely still, I try to make it as exact a science as I can, but there's still a lot of fingers and errors at uh, Shepherd Capital. I think um, I think you're right when you said that uh, things kind of go full circle where when you're really dumb, I don't know, I suppose it's like the midwit meme, where when you're really dumb about sports betting, you just think, oh, I'm going to make a good bet consistently. And then when you're the midwit, you think you have to quantify absolutely everything. Like it's a really good idea to try and like have a framework to quantify absolutely everything. But you feel when you're in the middle that if you don't know absolutely everything, then you can't make the bet. And then when you sort of uh, gain some more experience and you have positive feedback about winning, you just see the good bet again and you make the good bet. Like you don't you don't feel like you have to boil everything perfectly down as long as you're able to somewhat uh, incorporate these things then uh, and like you acknowledge that they exist then it's going to give you a decent framework to make these bets what does horse hard trust nobody mean uh, that one's actually not really from gambling at all that was from uh from college was just a saying that we used to have horsing meaning drinking uh and making sure that you trust no one so yeah just horse hard trust no one i think really became a moniker for a a while i don't know how it's permeated gambling my gambling friends but it's uh got um okay 233 Anything else that we should uh, touch on or should we call it a, call it a day? I know it's, what is it? Midnight where you are? Yeah. Uh, it's 2.07 PM where I am. So I still got a, I still have all day free here. I got nothing to do except bet on the Solda championship and the Byron Nelson championship where golf is tricky too, because even when they play on the same course, it can be hard to know exactly what skills will be rewarded and punished in a given week because the weather and the course setup play a really big factor. And it's just, it's tricky to identify the factors and they're not consistent year to year. And this week seems like a good week on the PGA where players that suck 
will play well. And it's like kind of anyone's game. Uh, the course is open, but it's just, it's like impossible to fully quantify or impossible for me trying, but hard. How many, uh, how many big, uh, participants do you think are in the golf market and like how much of an effect do you think that Rufus has by smash or like getting first crack at the bookmaker openers? I don't know. I would love to uh, be like, yeah, <laughs> for multiple reasons, I'd love to be omniscient for a week. But in the golf market specifically, I think that when book by the time Bookmaker posts, the numbers are fairly good and the VIG is so big that it kind of doesn't matter. You know, you pick two guys out of the hat for the PGA this week, minus 110, minus 110, or minus 115, minus 115 you're probably like 80% that that's, there's no good bets to be made there. Um, there is a decent chance that that's just good. So you can kind of just throw those out there. And then if you know some factors are weird, and I think Bookmaker does a good job of doing this. Um, if you're not sure, you think that Joaquin Neiman might outperform and Jason Kokrak might outperform, just throw them in a matchup against each other, you know, like kind of neutralize those outlier effects. Um but I don't, I don't, I don't know. The reason that I spend so much time on golf is it's fun. There's a lot to be bet on it if you solve it. And I think it's solvable. Like I, speaking of low bars, like I think that you could be the best golf better in the world pretty easily. I'm definitely not, but in a few months, it seems possible that I could be. And Rufus probably maybe is by default or I don't know. He's definitely making, moving the market and influencing the market, but is his stuff very good? I mean, he's been doing about the process for five years with Jeff Ma. We, we know his decisions aren't very good. Um, so it seems unlikely that the golf can be that good. You know, that's a, that's another good one. I suppose is like, why does every podcast have to have an absolute idiot on it? Like uh, even the good, even the ones with good, good people, like, I don't know, like you can kind of say what you like about Rufus and like, he puts out some dumb tweets and like a little bit annoying sometimes, but the dude is like very clearly in, incredibly intelligent and like definitely makes money betting. But then he, he's with Jeff, who's an idiot. And like, uh, I suppose basically like well doesn't jeff make money involved. betting too like wasn't he involved in that 21 thing i mean if one of them is, uh, jeff's probably made more money betting than rufus in his life if that's no, the criteria I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so and like also he just like donks it off now like just likes to he likes to talk about these things that don't matter at all and then i don't know he i suppose he like at least admits that he's a uh, losing better now but um yeah he's like very clearly not not very clever and doesn't like really promote good discussion um on this podcast yeah. I, I mean most of the obviously all of the content in the gambling space is bad and there's a reason why that is the case and like winning bidders have no reason as to why they should want to go on this right as, as we it's call, like what do you do you uh, want me to like i'm spending the last few days i'm trying to rework my golf numbers and i'm like i think like 80 percent of the way there but I can't really talk about it, you know? Like if I figure it out, that's worth millions and 
many millions to me. So I don't really want to mention any of it. So even on this podcast, which is the highest quality people, like the the amount of brain power on this podcast is definitely higher than any other sports gambling podcast. But it's like, even we can't really talk about anything interesting. We still have to protect our bottom line. And even if I wasn't even, if I wasn't gambling professionally, you still don't like, I don't want to be a person that just destroys edges to destroy edges. Even if it wasn't impacting me personally, like what sort of person gets online and like, you know, just starts ruining edges. Like I don't want to be that guy. So the people that are going to talk a lot on their podcasts are the people that don't have an edge or like ruining other people's edges, which are kind of like a weird selection group of kind of clowns. It's tough. There's a lot to talk about, but you don't want to go too deep because the edges can go away so quick. You know, like even your guys' Olympics edge, it might be over. And it sounds like you guys crushed it, which is great. I mean, I wish I I took, I was off from April to November last year. So I didn't bet anything for like seven months. I wish that I'd been betting the Olympics. It sounds like, sounds kind of fun. You know, (laughs) if you're like in a group that's trying to find fairs and betting stuff and it's moving, that's like one of the most fun things for me, you know? Yeah. Do you think, um, do you think all dollars are, just as fun to make as other dollars like you know if you get someone's stuff they send it to you um is it as fun as as the dollars that you make originating it's close i would say it's like 80 percent as fun i like originating because i can get more dollars and it's more opportunities and i get to pick how many opportunities there are but if i could pick me originating versus some other me sending me as many plays that are good, I would definitely pick the latter. And that then I can just do what I want all day. And when the text message comes in, it's like, okay, time to rort this. You know? <laughs> yeah, I think if you have the opportunity to sweat it with friends or like, and you know the source is good, then it can be pretty fun. But like, I, if there are three ways to, to make money betting, the first one being originating, the second one being having originators send plays to you. And then the third one being, say, picking off stale lines or like chasing steam or um, promo whoring. Then I think that like the first two, you know, well, originating to me is the most fun because you are testing your own opinions and it's like intellectually interesting. The second one is fun because you're sweating it with your friends and you're all on the same thing. And like you uh, showing belief in this person who you believe to be really smart and you're like sticking your neck out. The third one is just like not very fun. I don't think at all. And like, I don't agree with the people who say, oh yeah, these people aren't real sports bettors, I suppose. But it's also just like, I also do think that the dollars made steam chasing or the dollars made just like arbing is just not nearly as fun, even if, you know, it does allow you to have a, um, enjoyable life outside of the betting itself yeah i think it depends what else you want to get out of it but a lot of people that are betting it's like you know you could just go work at some company and make as much money you know it'd be the same thing like i i love originating sports betting because i work whenever i want not exactly very much throughout the year and can pay for stuff so it's kind of a nice job to if you want to just 
do whatever all day. You know, I'm kind of a weird guy. I got weird interests. It's enjoyable for me to originate because I can just do what I want all day, read random shit, be online and stuff, watch movies. But yeah, I think it just depends how you want to make the money. There's a lot of ways to make it, especially now. It's I feel like COVID even accelerated the, there's a lot of people that make some real money, not real, but like they make a living, you know, maybe 40K a year plus, like something that's comparable to if they had an office job, they, they would make the same amount at that office job for their brain power level. But there's a lot of people out there that do that in sports betting content, you know? So, and they have no clue, obviously, but it's a pretty nice life for them. Um, and it's like these random podcasts that are released daily or they got the video podcast or the whole Vizen thing. I feel like Vizen, what, or however you pronounce that, V-S-I-N, when it came out, it was like, okay, Brent Musburger's the head of it or something. And it's like a bunch of idiots in Vegas and they're talking about like stupid shit. And it's like, I mean, years on, they're still pumping out a lot of content. It's probably a valuable enterprise. I think they're probably paying paychecks to employees. And there's basically, I don't know, 20, 30 people involved in that that are making a living off of sports betting that have no business doing so. You know, it's kind of nice for them. Yeah, I think DK paid $100 million for VEASAN, which is pretty absurd. Oh, they bought the um, company? DraftKings owns it? Yeah, DK owns it. Wow. Um, the yeah i i think that's probably fair and you know i went to a funeral one time i went to i haven't been to that many funerals and i was at a family member's funeral and one of the guys at it came up to me and i guess some people know that i bet on sports or know that i'm something related to that or something but I'd met him a few times in my life, maybe four times. He used to work with my uncle doing like uh, contracting work. And he was saying, oh, hey, like I'm, I heard you're uh, betting on the sports. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, win some, lose some, yeah, a little bit. And he was like, you ever listen to um, Vizen? They've been on a great run of NHL first period overs. And I love listening to, I mean, like name the host of some show or something, but it's really amazing the demand for regular sports betting content out there. <laughs> and I guess even when you're saying like the dumb money in the market, sometimes when you say something like that, or I hear something like that, it's hard for me to envision, to like envision these people making the bets, but it, it's out there. You know, there's people out there betting on random stuff. Yeah, otherwise we couldn't make the bets, I suppose. Right, that's like, I I don't feel too high and mighty. Like it is intellectually interesting and it's, you can kind of sell yourself on it being very intellectually interesting, but I don't want to stray too far from, like I'm paid by idiots and people being really stupid and listening to SportsCenter and maybe Bill Simmons if they're smart for them that's kind of like the competition and I extract money from them and it's not really impressive in any way. It's just kind of like some money that shows up and I'd, yeah, I'd like to make more of it, but I'm not really doing much. Yeah. And like I'm playing in even the lower field than that. It's just that I can somehow get a whole bunch of money down. Into well, the- those legal like books are great. Even- I've, I've never had a legal book 
to have action on, which is kind of unfortunate. I started traveling three years ago, so I haven't really had a residency to capitalize. But when I'm in when I'm in the states this summer, it might be time to uh, open some accounts. And Circa's coming to Illinois, last I heard. So yeah, that's the uh, I suppose that's the thing is that yeah, people always just complain about getting limited at these legal books, and they really should just find more ways to make money out of the legal books rather than complaining. Um, yeah. Like some people take pride in it, take pride in getting limited. Getting limited just means you can't make any more money. Just try to, you know, try to find ways to get after it and bit more, bit more money at these shitty books on these shitty prices. But I think people do take pride in getting limited because they know that that's the mark of a sharp butter, right? Like, it's hard for them yeah, to this... take it to the next level of, I put a million dollars in my bank account. It's easier to get limited. Some people, yeah, some people will do it on purpose though. Like, you know, they're just bidding like very clearly off market numbers and like making their 10% and, you know, or even 5%. And they might've been able to turn over 10 grand and call you made 500 bucks in EV. This entire well, account, I think even though this, I will, I'll let me defend them for a second because I may be one of them. So I've never had a legal book, but this year when I was betting college basketball, I had a friend in Illinois who had books at all the legal places, and I saw it as every account. I mean, I've had hundreds of accounts in my life. None of them last. Hopefully, we get paid. Hopefully, we win, but. It's not a long-term relationship. It's like there's a number that you can make. And if you make it in a month, if you make it in 10 years, you're getting kicked off regardless. There's a few exceptions, but it's mostly that. So when I had access to his accounts and we he was moving for me, I we were betting, you know, overnight college basketball totals and shit, which is stupid. But I didn't know it at the time, you know, I, I know it now, but it's kind of hard to know these things live or unless you have some other way of knowing it or someone else to tell you, like after the fact, yeah, okay, betting something that moves is bad, but some of the stuff didn't move and betting smaller markets is bad. It, I think it can be tricky to know exactly what is good and bad, and it can help to have someone tell you who knows the answer who, or who has been through it before or kind of some mentor. Maybe that's just my deficiency as I'm always copying, but I feel like I burned a lot of accounts on stuff that I didn't need to. And I was, I mean, I know how to burn accounts and I know that accounts get burned and I generally know the marketplace but i still burn them you know i it, i yeah, hear what I, you're saying but it's hard to do live yeah, luckily i still true. have all the accounts to make in my name to do it with this summer for real so hopefully they're still taking bets by then yeah fingers crossed uh i don't know how much longer we've got but we've got some uh period of time hopefully you're back in the states and able to take advantage before they shut it all down. What are the best things to be betting on? Just anything that doesn't move or anything that's a big market or anything that's within I've, an hour of tip? 
Yeah, within an hour of tip, for sure. Um, if you can get anything with a high theoretical hold, especially at these books that are, have, um, are trying to uh, profile via algorithm, like algorithm only, and then the other thing is if you can have futures on your books, uh, a lot of books will count those as losses. Um, and so the pendings just make you look like an idiot. What um, about total versus so, side? Like if I'm betting an hour before it tip. It won't matter. On, it won't matter? Okay. So I should if be, stains, if the market's like, 165 on a total, on an extra game college basketball total, something I'm familiar with betting, and I bet under 164, 21 minutes before tip and it's minus 112 or something that's a great bet to make yeah to some extent like that's that's a that's a good way to get it get your full fill at the time it's not necessarily the best way to keep the account alive if it if it closes good like these books um but it won't really close if we're 21 minutes before tip on an extra game it can't close i mean those Luckily, extra games don't really move too much because none of the on-screens take any action. So people, at least for now, um, mostly yeah. don't they don't move them. That's a great bet to make because no matter what, like if you've taken the one, 164 uh, minus 112, then they're just going to see that as like a minus 9% EV bet if, you know, if Pinnacle closes 165 and a half or whatever. Uh, and they don't, they're probably not going to, check that it's a that it's an extra game they're just going to see college basketball minus nine percent ev oh okay so extra game doesn't matter he keeps he keeps winning at these uh, i mean it does it does to some extent but but not much um no and like if 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 you can get it in a parlay if you can get uh you know if you can find ways to make your parlay percentage higher all of these sorts of things i suppose um are decent ways to avoid detection but you've got to kind of figure out what the book um what the book doesn't like what they value and don't value i suppose um play around with it a little bit okay and yeah i suppose that's that's a that's a decent argument for your side is that you kind of have to do you do have to burn a few books and learn by experience um to uh or burn a few accounts and learn by experience to figure out just what the book um itself is uh, is valuing and what, cause all books value different. Well, they don't all value different things, but some books value different things to others. And it's so hard. I mean, even if you know what you're doing, if they let you bet and you know, the market's minus four and you can bet minus three half at DraftKings, it's like, it's just tough to turn down. It's kind of like tweeting out something about getting banned. It's like, just feels good. You know, it's like, oh, this is good. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, some that, you know, there becomes a price where the account is just, okay, I'm just going to light this thing up. Like I'm happy to just completely light this thing on fire and everyone will have that. Everyone will have that price, but yeah, you have to resist. Well, you should have a better price than a 54% edge or whatever. (laughs) uh... Yeah, exactly. Unless you can get an absolute shit ton down into it or you're anchoring it through something else or yeah. Uh, yeah, I I don't know if there's, you know, if Caesars was going to ban an account um base and i could and i i don't know if there's i don't know if there's an amount of money that i could bet for 54 percent that i'd be willing to give up my caesar's account for it yeah hello this is tony rambo the bookie you must stop releasing these primers you are killing my business this is tony rambo the bookie (laughs) hello this is tony rambo the bookie i do not allow primers thank you
is Tony Rambo the Bucky? <laughs> Where is my money? Josh Mead says. Hello, this is Tony Rambo the Bookie. I gave the money to the runner Tommy Marino. He will contact you. This is Tony Rambo the Bookie. <laughs> what is this guy on about? I mean, this is this is a crazy account. He's like yeah. some rando responded to him, where is my money? And he responded with an answer. <laughs> I mean an answer. <laughs> Not exactly. It didn't make any sense. Is Tommy, really. is Tommy Marino I think Tommy Marino was um was Billy, I mean, um, Tim Donaghy's like runner, I think. Oh, okay. He was like the Baba sheep. I think so. He was the guy who connected like him to the mob or something like that. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think Tommy Marino was was him. So Schwartzman had a point for five zero. It's now four four. You could literally be sitting on both guys plus twenty five hundred, and that's being conservative. Maybe more like plus three thousand each side is from Sydney Fife at Moneyline Chat. Tony Rambo replies, "I'm Tony Rambo the bookie. I hope you're not using a primer. This is Tony Rambo the bookie. What the hell's a primer? It's just the it's the Zilbert um it's the Zilbert Zilbert write like write up. <laughs> he calls it a primer. He he's not even tagging yeah. Zilbert. He has a tweet from April seventeenth. I am Tony Rambo the bookie." I better not find out you used a primer. Thank you. I am Tony Rambo, the bookie. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, this is it's, Tony Rambo, the bookie. No, good. it's not okay to use the primer. I told you that. This is Tony Rambo, the bookie. In his defense, he has told me a few times. I mean, I'm not even very much down his page. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't use the primer. <laughs> you were told not to use the primer. <laughs> I am not allowing any player to use the Matt Zilba primer. They are fading primer and winning. It can't be allowed. So is he trolling Zilbert saying Zilbert loses? Because he's always talking about fading yeah. Zilbert. I think so. I think that's the thing that's the idea. Is um this account I I don't know. This I I have absolutely no idea who it is, but it's uh I like stumbled across it a few days ago. It's it's um like exceptionally good and like very, very underrated in uh, gambling Twitter. Probably the most underrated Twitter account uh, that I know of, Tony Rambo, the bookie. Jason Williams I7 tweets, Tony Rambo called me and warned me about using the primer. I'm making bank off that primer. Tony Rambo replies, hello, this is Tony Rambo, the bookie. If I catch you using that Matt Zilbo primer again, you are getting booted. I warned you, no primer. Thank you, Tony Rambo, the bookie. <laughs> And that, that's actually his first tweet. Okay, I'm at the beginning of his page now. So he's only probably has a few a, tweets. Probably a, good, probably a good place to end it is uh, Tony Rambo, the bookie. <laughs> yeah, his first follow is Matt Zilbert. Who has... Oh, this is a... Matt. His first follow is a Matt Zilbert um, parody account. It's not actually Matt Zilbert. Doesn't look like he follows the real Matt Zilbert. I think because he's blocked by Matt Zilbert. Oh, okay. For for using the primer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I don't know what Matt Zilbert's deal is. Do you think that the Twitter profile picture is him? Do you think it's an actual picture of him? I, I think so. Yeah, like I would bet yes. Facebook Facebook account and stuff. Yeah, I think it's like 
massive, massive favorite. Yes. Um, yeah. People found his face, Facebook account and like troll him about that. But it's, it's so, it's so ridiculous. Like he just gets trolled about the same things over and over again. And, but he's so much better at it. Like he, him t- tagging, tagging like 10 people and saying like, Oh, where's your, where's your documentary? Where's your verified like, documented? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll tag 10 more people. Like, Hmm, what do you think about this? <laughs> where's your documented verified record? And then no, we'll take 10 more people and say like, you know, like what were you guys doing when I, when I went 10 and three in my, Guinness World, Guinness World Record, <laughs> verified record, uh, total streak. <laughs> he is good. Taking, get, he, oh, he's, he replied to David Demand too here. What are you choosing to? He got swept again and clearly sucks. One of those fraud betters that doesn't know what he's doing and just bets based on value rather than, you know, actual baseball knowledge. Eye roll emoji. This is how it's done. Look at that record. And <laughs> he links to his... Uh, his record no guinness tweet you know david demand's actually funny i knew i knew um i knew some people that booked him he he has twenty thousand followers wow that's a lot once upon a time a winning better now just do my best to stay above water clv is easy winning is hard um shocker that the guy behind that bio is not a winning better but he is not a winning better loses the big there you go. <laughs> yeah, I I wonder how many like I wonder how many frauds there are like true frauds there are out there. Um, and I think mean, most. most I mean, them. isn't Bet Bash yeah, like? Most. I didn't go to Bet Bash, but isn't everyone at Bet Bash a fraud? There's like maybe think so. eight eight people with a clue, and two thousand nine hundred and ninety two are frauds, or you know half of them yeah. pretend they they have a clue. I think so. Like there would have been just so many people to, that went there that kind of think they know what they're doing a little bit. I don't know. Rick went there. Uh, right. So He's probably one of the eight. Was one. Right? Yeah. Him and Jelko. Didn't, uh, didn't a scoot go too? Or no? Yeah. Yeah. A scoot was there. Um, so yeah, I don't know. There's a few there. Scoot, I think is probably a winner. I think Rick's probably a winner as well. I don't know. Never seen their books. Neither have I. I would bet they're both winners. Scoot knows a lot about the NBA. He taught me a lot this year. I was uh, talking with him about the NBA a little bit. Um, some good lessons. A lot of stuff to consider. It, uh, every, I mean, I always think when I'm betting something that, you know, I load it all up into the computer, let the computer do the work, as Gordon Ramsay says. And it's like, nope, your computer's probably missing some stuff. and it's complicated and there's infinite complexity that can be included. And sometimes you can kind of miss that stuff if you don't specify it exactly. But if you kind of take a generalist approach and eyeball or ballpark, you can include more things. It's kind of like a trade-off you have to pick if you're going to be making numbers. Are you going to make something where you're including everything and then you're going to be short the stuff you're missing? Or are you kind of eyeballing, in which case you're going to be, you know, you're going to be losing, you're going to be losing to computers that are accurately eyeballing and get the exact correlations right between the numbers. But the, the weirder the sport is, the better chance you have eyeballing it. And the NBA is 
there's a lot of data so you can know what you're doing. And I feel pretty confident beating openers. Um, but at the end, I, f I would definitely trust a scoot way more than me. And I think he's more eyeballing than I am. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I've spoken to him a little bit about that sort of stuff and he seems to have a pretty good handle on all of the, yeah, uh, less quantifiable stuff. Um, right. There's some stuff that's just hard to know, like exactly how to include it. And if you don't follow the sport, like, oh, this guy's worse at this time or these guys are worse together or, you know, I, I hear what you're saying and I believe it, but I, I don't even know how to test this or I, I don't even know how to include this in any way. So you end up short kind of random stuff like betting the Blazers at the beginning of the year or whatever. That can even bleed down into like some of the smaller stuff. Um, for example, like first basket markets. This was like one of our biggest edges ever was um, Stephen Adams, the New Zealand center. When he was playing for Oklahoma City, uh, there was a two-year period where – so he was playing with Chris Paul. Chris Paul, obviously one of the greatest players ever. One of your favorites. He didn't, yeah, he is. I, I do like Chris Paul. He um, Wake Forest alumni. He took Wake Forest alumni, correct. Who you mentioned earlier. Duncan. Alan Boston's favorite. Although I don't think Alan Boston likes him. I think Alan Boston likes West Virginia, specifically because no, West, Bob Huggins, the coach. I, think, I don't think he has any axe on Wake Forest. I think I said West Virginia. But anyway, well, Chris you said Paul both. didn't take a single yeah. shot. He didn't take a single shot for two for for two years in the first basket, like on the first shot of the game. Um, okay. And so, like, he's being priced as though with his game usage of like twenty one percent, whereas like they ran the first play every single game was for Stephen Adams. It was a cross screen. They punched it into the post. They fed the big fella, and he took a hook shot every time. And <laughs> fair dinkum. Is and that from your New Zealand basketball coaching background that you identified that? No, I mean, you can see it like in the data too. Playbyplaystats.com. Like you can just look at the play-by-play. -play. You can filter it for first bar first shots only. You can filter it for like starters only, blah, blah, blah. And uh, like, so Stephen Adams is one of the best jump ballers ever. Wins the tip all the time. And then they're also running a post up for him every time. And he's like a 13% usage guy. And he's getting like 57% usage on the first basket. And so you're getting him at like plus 700, plus 800 to be the first basket when his true price is like plus 250 plus 200. Um, and so that was a massive edge for a long time uh, until they finally figured out that coaches run uh, post-ups for centers. But that's kind of, that kind of adds to what you were saying where, um, you know, if you're just looking at the numbers, like you're probably going to miss, well, if you're just looking at the numbers and don't consider all the factors that could be affecting this, then you're going to be so far wrong and get so many things like completely incorrect. You kind of have to think about it uh, at least to some extent or have, or have somebody teach you um, what you may be missing. Yes. I, the teaching is key. I mean, that's like one of the benefits of talking with people that know the sport they're betting. Just knowing, like, even if you, if you have a good model and are betting on every game and winning 0% ROI and are like close to making a lot, you know, you're beating the VIG, but you're not making any money and it's close. You don't really know what you're doing. If you can have someone tip you off to like, oh, this side is bad for these obvious reasons, and then just scrap those bad sides 
from your portfolio, you know? It's like, oh, now I'm winning. Or that's obviously not a best practice, but it's kind of a second best practice where the numbers are good, you get adverse selected and don't win, but then you kind of know where the adverse selections are and you just skip them and pass them. And I try not to pass anything and I try to price everything, but it can be better to pass some stuff that the model's missing, the model's wrong on. European Tour Golf is like players from South Africa playing in their home country versus not is, I'm kind of working on it. It shouldn't be that hard to quantify, but it is, they're really good at home. They're really bad away. You probably lose because the VIG's so big if you blindly bet on them a home and blindly bet against them away. But if you leave them out away and keep them home, you probably go from like a 0% better to a 2% better or a 4%. You know, like that that might be the switch that flicks you to a big winner. Um, And there's all sorts of factors like that in all sports that are some little thing that you're missing. And it's stupid. And you don't quite know how to include it. But it would be best if you knew exactly how to include it and could bet them all. But if you just pass the obvious losers and keep the obvious winners, that might be good enough. Yeah, I tend to agree. I don't really have that much more to add on that one. That's okay. All right, should we call it here? Fair dinkum, three hours, eight minutes. Fair dinkum. Um, <laughs> thanks, Cobba. Thanks, Cobba. Yeah, uh, thanks, Cobba. Pleasure. Yeah, hopefully this Mason Smith wins. Although he's now... He's 1203 on Bookmaker now. They've moved him a little bit. It's minus 4,500, 1203. Is this good? Or, I mean, I could bang this for a lot of money. It can't be good, right? It's not a roar. I'm going to check check this in Australia. My guess is it might be okay, but probably not a roar. Bookmaker usually lets me just rebet and rebet and rebet, which is how I got so much down on Heat 4 0, which, uh, Unfortunately, it's behind us. Going to now need Sixers and Seven. Heat and Six is just sick, basically. Really hope that doesn't happen. 45% chance. And, you know, I thought about the Mavs. Luckily passed them every round. Thought about them pre, pre, pre-game, post-game one, post-game two, post-game three. Keep showing an edge on the Mavs. I think the Suns must just be kind of a good playoff team or kind of outperforming the Algo. Yeah. Uh, the Celtics, I thought, might be the same way, but I don't know. The Celtics, I keep showing edges too. I didn't earlier in the year, but now in this playoff series, a, I'm, I'm pretty strong on them each game. That's another one where, like, um, the so like this the game one line um on the Celtics versus Bucks um was like Celtics minus four and a half minus five minus five minus five I, I think. have and then uh and they and lost the, by twelve the game one line on um Warriors versus uh Grizzlies was plus two point seven War- Grizzlies yeah like yeah and Yet the the series prices were basically exactly the same. 
which like doesn't make any sense to me. And no, again, no one really talked about it. And also they didn't move that much. Like didn't close that different to, to the numbers. Like it was like, uh, you could get the bucks at plus 195 some spots and then you could get the warriors as big as like minus 210 and their um in their series which was yeah which is like pretty close to uh, what minus 210 the strata would be like plus 185 plus 190 so basically those two series were seen as the same um despite game one being so similar i mean so so widely different like that's a three and a half point difference in those two. You would think that you can just, unless there's like some crazy non-stationarity, you can impute the game one line to be more efficient than the series line. So you just smash into the series, but I don't know, no one really bit it. So I can't really understand why, uh, why some of these markets are what they are. And well, I, I kind I suppose, of bet it in that I was long the Celtics and short the Warriors at those lines. But both of those look like they might not win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I like I was uh, I used the game one line to to like impute what the the series price should have been on the bucks, and it was like plus one fifty, and so I just bet the bucks. Um, I just assumed that the game one was correct. Yeah, seems reasonable. All right, you got any locks here for the for the last for the game fives? Uh, unfortunately, not. Um, my head. I, I can't believe the. Die. Yeah, it's okay. I can't believe the Heat won by thirty-five today. It seemed like once Embiid was back, that the Sixers just had it, but I guess not today. Yeah, I don't know. All right, uh, thanks for com- thanks for coming on the podcast. Hopefully, the Celtics win tomorrow, and. Um, we roared it with Mason Smith here, although I, I don't have very much money. I, it's kind of like, I guess I hope he wins, but if he wins, I might be pissed that I didn't uh, lay into it with a proper dinkum. <laughs> yeah, fair dinkum, Kaba. Thanks again. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later, Kaba.